Welcome to an Acts of the Blood God special episode. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. We are very warmed up and I am stoked for more Final Fantasy discussion. Yes, this is part two of our great Final Fantasy ranking. You listen to us ranking all of the, okay, I'm not going to say bad necessarily, but definitely <laughs> questionable entries on the Final Fantasy canon. This is, these are the ones that are good. These are yes, the ones yes. that live on in memory that made Final Fantasy special. And here to help us out in this task, this huge task, is one Ash Paulson. Welcome back to the show, Ashen. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, even though I have to say I haven't I've barely even said a word yet. I'm already feeling incensed because of the the Final Fantasies I know that we're already not discussing in this part. Uh, the ones that you have unilaterally just called the non-memorable ones, the the ones that are <laughs> questionable. I already have things to say, but I can't, so it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Ash, if you could pick one game from the top, the 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 previous list to move into the top ten, which would it be? I think you already probably know, but in a second, it's going to be Final Fantasy Thirteen. Okay, yeah. so you're a Final <laughs> Fantasy Thirteen defender because yes. our previous guest Kim Wallace hated it. That's so funny. Actually, both 13 and 13-2, I will defend both those games to the death despite their flaws, and I would put them both in the top 10. See, well, there you go. That's why I put them higher up on the list, Nadia. Yeah, I was going to okay. say, they're the good, bad ones we decided. <laughs> I do appreciate that you put them at the top of, of the previous 10. I, I'll, I'll at least accept that. I do appreciate... I, I never went in expecting 13 to make most top 10 lists, so... I realize I'm the outlier there, and that's okay. We will continue on with the top 10 in just a moment. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. If you are supporting the Patreon, thank you so much. This episode was posted right alongside part one of the list, but it is available a week later. And from now on, if you subscribe to the Patreon, you will get all episodes a week early and ad-free. We also have... A bunch of special Patreon-only episodes, including the Pantheon of the Blood God, in which we explore Skies of Arcadia with Rebecca Valentine, and our episode-by-episode exploration of The Witcher on Netflix. You can listen to the first episode of that for free. And finally, everybody who subscribes to their Patreon gets access to our community over on Discord, and it's a great community, I assume. We haven't actually launched a podcast yet, but I hope it's <laughs> a great community. We assume everybody's behaving themselves. Yes. Right. Acts of the Blood God is on Twitter, on Instagram, and all of those wonderful places. And you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV. Ash, you should promote some things, too. Yeah, well, um, as you may may have heard, uh, a couple of my former Game Explain colleagues and I recently just uh, kind of broke off and launched our own channel uh, called Good Vibes Gaming. It's about, I'd say, what, about a month and a half old or so, uh, give or take a week or two, and uh, we've been growing steadily. We're very happy with how things are going so far. Uh, you can find us on Patreon over at uh, patreon.com slash gvgaming where uh, we have multiple different tiers for you to decide to support us at, support us at if you would so like. Um, but you can support us for as little as $1 a month, uh, which gains you access to our lovely growing Discord community. And uh, I was actually reminded by something you said, Kat. They, I, I don't even have to worry about whether they're behaving themselves or not, because I know they are, because our community is amazing. It has it so far attracted exactly the kind of people uh, and exactly the kind of community that I envisioned when kind of kicking good vibes gaming around in my head. And it's just a 
really lovely, like-minded community of uh, very kind, open, accepting people from all walks of life. And uh, it's definitely uh, turning out to be exactly the kind of good vibes, safe space for all people that I wanted Good Vibes Gaming to be in the first place. So uh, certainly check us out on Patreon. Um, and if for $5 a month, you can watch us uh, live as we record our three-day-a-week news show called Today's News Tonight, where you can interact with uh, me and my fellow co-hosts, as well as our special guests uh, every time we record. So there's a lot of a lot of fun stuff going on at Good Vibes Gaming. But uh, yeah, we're only on YouTube so far, YouTube and Patreon, so no Twitch yet. But uh, who knows? That may be, that may be in the... Uh, in the cards. Also, we're on Twitter at GVG Official. And you can find me on Twitter at Ash Paulson, A S H P A U L S E N, where I just talk about video games and video game music and dogs. So if you like any of those three things, which why wouldn't you? Because all three of those things are amazing, then come uh, chat with me on Twitter. Thank you, Ash. And let's get on to the list. Once again, here are the ground rules. We are sticking to the core games and direct sequels only, so sorry about that, Final Fantasy Tactics. Yes, that does include the MMORPGs. No, we're not including Dirge of Cerberus or Revenant Wings, because even though they're part of the mainline series or whatever, they're kind of spinoffs, and God, I'm going to go insane if I have to try and <laughs> rank, you know, before Crisis or whatever. Um, and for the purposes of this list, we're going to keep Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake in one spot, because I think they... Uh, you know, they rely on each other so much for their individual appeal. And as I was talking about earlier, a lot of the other games on this list, including Final Fantasy IV, have their own kind of distinct remakes or versions as well. So rather than trying to be like, well, Final Fantasy IV DS, uh, how does it relate to Final Fantasy IV and SNES? It's easier to just kind of keep them all together. Though if I were to split one out, it would be Final Fantasy VII remake probably Mm -hmm. to recap really quickly in the last episode we did numbers 19 through number 11 number 11 was final fantasy 13 too there's a lot of final fantasy 13 discussion on that particular list i put final fantasy 15 quite low and maybe i wish i had put final lightning returns a little bit higher now we're going to get to the top 10 but before we do that i have a couple questions for y'all Ash, in the last episode, I was asking Kim and Nadia what Final Fantasy meant to them. So I'm curious, what does Final Fantasy mean to you? Man, I mean, that's such a broad question, right? But I, I guess it's really just the the sum of its individual parts. You know, I, I don't look at Final Fantasy as just being, oh, well, that's that particular gameplay system. FF7 is a materia system. You know, FF8 is the junction system. No, for me, it's it's kind of a holistic view of everything. It's not just the gameplay. It's the soundtrack. It's the characters. It's the story. And and all those things come, it's the art style, right? So everything comes together to kind of create each, you know, each game's kind of unique identity in the series in my mind. And uh, so for me, it doesn't really come down to any one aspect, though. I know you know me, Kat, and uh, if, if there was one aspect that I, that I kind of thought of first when I thought of any Final Fantasy, it would be the soundtrack, of course, right? Because I love video game music, and Final Fantasy is one of the, that's one of the standard bearers in video game music. But uh I just I, I look for a, a, a good balance of, of every aspect, and uh, but but I will say for me it probably comes down more to the vibe of the world and the characters and just the the energy that game gives off uh, in in a in a uh, in an emotional sense. I think for me, what it comes down to for games in general, not just Final Fantasy, is uh, I remember games by how they make me feel. 
And that can mm. come across through gameplay. That can come across through story, characters, music. Um, but I definitely look for emotional resonance in a Final Fantasy game. I think probably above all. So if if I'm vibing with the characters, if I'm having strong emotional responses, chances are that Final Fantasy is really going to stick out in my mind uh, in a positive way. And although there are, you know, certainly instances in which I could react negatively to, uh, you know, certain characters and, and uh, such. But yeah, I, I would say Final Fantasy for me is kind of like coming home. Sometimes it's not always a home I like coming back to, such as in the case of a game like Final Fantasy XII. Other times it's a game that I, you know, I've, it's it's a home that I feel like I've been coming back to all along, like a game like FF10 or FF9. So um, it really just, you know, that each entry has always been so different from one another, right? I don't know. I, I think it's something that uh, I really enjoy sitting back and letting the series evolve of its own volition and seeing kind of where I fall uh, on each one. Ash, give us your 30-second defense of Final Fantasy 13 and 13-2. Go. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, 13 and 13-2 have storytelling problems, and uh, some of the characters can be kind of annoying, like Vanille. You're, but this is not a defense. What? <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying it's not perfect, but look, I, I love the soundtracks. The battle system mm. I, in both games, fantastic. Um, the, the world I think is very interesting. Cocoon, Pulse, I loved exploring and learning more about that world, despite some of the data log stuff. Um, I, I think they're, they're games that are much better than, than the sum of some of their parts. And, uh, I, I encourage people to, to not rely on what they've heard about the 13 games, but just experience them for themselves and, uh, and form their own opinions. But Lightning Returns sucks. I'll, I'll agree on that. Last time we were talking about kind of the common threads through some of the rougher games in the series, but now that we're talking about the the good ones, what do we look for in a great Final Fantasy game? I, I think I'll kind of start. I mean, Ash, I think you hit the nail on the head that a really good soundtrack is kind of a, a mark of a, a high quality Final Fantasy game. And, and in many ways, the series hasn't quite been the same since Nobuo Uematsu left, though, of course, Uematsu has contributed to Final Fantasy fourteen, which is spoiler alert quite high on our list so there is that <laughs> and then also i tend to look toward the battle system when it has a really good battle system i think i can know that it's going to be pretty strong and then a really strong cohesive world that manages to incorporate a lot of final fantasy elements without being overly pandering i, th I think those are all things that i'm looking for in a final fantasy how about you nadia uh, it's funny, we always come down to talking about systems versus story. I'm, I'm certainly more of a story person. I can absolutely suffer a not-so-great battle system if I have a good story going on with, uh, with with characters that I enjoy, which is probably why I would personally rank Final Fantasy XV quite a bit higher than you did, because those are some of like the best characters to come out of Final Fantasy in quite a while, even though the battle system is a bit mushy. So I am looking for a good camaraderie between the characters. I'm looking for NPCs that are fun to interact with or maybe have good quests of their own. I'm, of course, looking for a great soundtrack, and that most Final Fantasy games cover that pretty well. Uh, in, in, like, more uh, superficial terms, I'm looking for, uh, I guess, a world that's interesting, full of, as you say, Final Fantasy tropes, but without going completely overboard. That that's basically what I what I am looking for in a Final Fantasy game. Not too much. I'm not very hard to please. Ash, uh, I mean, I, I think I would say it was you guys both just covered it quite a bit there. Uh, I would also say that I also look for Final Fantasy games not to 
try to pander too much to fans of other games. And I know that uh, from a business perspective, that probably isn't the best approach. But I, I think Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy tends to be at its best when it goes all in on on everything Final Fantasy can be and, and just kind of sticks to its own weird, unique vibes and doesn't try to be something else necessarily. Mm, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why I have certain thoughts on how Final Fantasy 16 is looking so far. It's one of the first oh, Final boy. Fantasies in a long time that I don't find myself super excited for, even though I'm going to play it day zero. It's like one of the first in a long time where I'm not like, wow, I can't wait for this. But that's a whole nother uh, subject. I... Uh, yeah, I, I like it when Final Fantasy really doubles down on its own weirdness, right? Because Final Fantasy can get kind of weird, and, and, and I'm reminded of Final Fantasy VII Remake, actually, as a great example of this. I was so worried for so long that Seven Remake might kind of strip out some of the weirder aspects of Final Fantasy VII and, and what made that game stand out in such a unique way. Um, and thankfully it didn't. It not only didn't strip those kind of odd elements out of Seven's world and characters and story, but it doubled down on them. And so you, you had things like Wall Market that were carried across wonderfully and interpreted wonderfully for this generation of uh, game enthusiasts and Final Fantasy fans. So uh, I like it when Final Fantasy doesn't play it safe. And I, and I certainly look for Final Fantasy games to impress me on that level. And just if they're gonna if they're going to have a lot of anime weirdness... Double down on that anime weirdness. Don't shy away from it. Well, speaking of doubling down on anime weirdness, <laughs> thank you for the perfect segue, Ash. Let's move on to number 10 on our list, Final Fantasy's Return of Jafar. Yes, number 10 is Final Fantasy X-2, the first direct-to-video sequel that Final (laughs) Fantasy ever had. Maligned in its day, I like to think that it's a lot better than you remember. And Nadia, you talk a lot about how we are often systems versus story. This game, if you like systems, you're going to love Final Fantasy X-2. And if you like story, maybe you won't like Final Fantasy X-2. Ash, where do you land on this one? I think Final Fantasy X-2 is great, and I'm so glad that it's yes. that it made your top 10. I would have put, again, I would have put 13 in the top 10, but you made up for it by including Ten Two here, and uh, I think this is a sequel that deserves way better, uh, just way better than it gets from, from both critics and fans. Uh, I loved, back even back in the day, I loved the uniquely weird kind of girl pop vibe, right? And and that, that's, that comes across in kind of the breezier energy carried by Yuna, Riku, and Pain compared to the first game. That comes across in the Dress Sphere system. Um, and and I, it was the first time that Final Fantasy had really gotten to go back to one of its worlds in, in this way, in a full direct sequel, and, and that kind of uh, dug deeper into the lore of that world and, and, and showed us a new side of, of said world and, and some of its history and some of the darker things that went, that went on in its past. And... Uh, you have to remember that at the time that Final Fantasy X-2 was a thing and it was you know, released and came out, that was new for Final Fantasy. There had never been was. a a direct yeah. sequel like Roman numeral Dash 2, and that by itself was hugely exciting. Um, but particularly for me as a big Final Fantasy X fan, I was all only too happy 
to go, to go back to Spira and uh, kind of catch up with these characters and see what they've been up to. And also as a big fan of, uh, the you know, Yuna and Titus as a couple, I had to know, you know, what was going to happen. I had to know if, if, if she was going to find Titus at the end and, uh, you know, that, that uh, ends up going out goes. But uh, I really, really appreciate Tentu's uh, place in the Final Fantasy Pantheon. And I'm glad it's here. I think it's way better than a lot of people remember. And I think... Um, it gets an unnecessary or an unfairly bad rap just for not being traditional. And Final Fantasy is sometimes at its best when it's not traditional. I like that it puts Yuna where she should have been all along as a main character in her own story. Same. Agreed. Also, she has those dope guns. I, I like them. Yeah, the it's guns very are Charlie's cool. Angels. <laughs> yeah, no, I loved her dual pistols, and I and I also love the the character designs, like the the costume designs mm. for all the different characters. Yeah, I mean for sure, some of them can get a, a little ridiculously on the beefcake side, no doubt about that. But in general, it was just such a breath of fresh air for Final Fantasy. I thought that, that it kind of just got to break away from its own traditions and just kind of go with a breezier, poppier vibe. And you saw that reflected in the soundtrack too, which was. Uh, that, that also had its own kind of more upbeat, distinct vibe that I really enjoyed for, and that was very appropriate for what Ten Two was. But I think the thing that people remember Final Fantasy Ten Two the most is definitely the battle system. It had its own variation of the job system. It was called the Dress Fear system, in which you could unlock different jobs for different characters, and if I recall correctly, uh, change them on the fly, Yes, which was pretty cool and then you had a cool transformation sequence so you were almost having a little bit of a uh what do you want to say a sailor moon vibe yeah to final fantasy very henshin-y sailor moon-esque vibe which i thought was so cool kotaku called it all the fun of the series without the self-importance and i think that uh, sums it up pretty well (laughs) you know i i would almost take slight issue with that though because i think one of the things that people gloss over about tend to when looking back on it is just how dark it was it was unafraid to get i mean yes it, it had it led with this you know kind of high energy pop veneer but then the, the further you played into the game especially from like chapter four and on when you get into the really dark spirit stuff about Vegnagun and and uh you know everything it gets pretty dark and that's one thing I really liked about Ten Two is that it w- it was able to balance those two very well from you know like kind of that light more lighthearted energy that it gives off gives off at first with what turns out to be a pretty dark story about Spira's history and some of the messed up stuff that happened in it. So I it, it is I, I see what Kotaku's going for with that with that quote, but at the same time I do think that you do get some of that classic Final Fantasy melodrama. You just have to look a little deeper. Uh, look a little harder and dig a little deeper for it than you might otherwise in other entries. Nadia, I know that this one is a little bit of a blind spot for you, but as a Final Fantasy fan, I'm curious, how did you feel about the first direct sequel when it came out back in, I think it was 2004? Uh, yeah, I distinctly remember where I was. We were living in a tiny basement apartment and I heard the news and I thought Square Enix was on crack because I said, <laughs> "What are you? you can't do that. You can't just take Final Fantasy and, and Dash 2. What the hell is that? Um, I remember there was some controversy around that particular naming scheme, and people thought that Square had lost its mind. But in the end, I do remember everybody pretty much liked the game, and it's still regarded as one of the better ones. I have a friend who did a really incredible cosplay of Lulu. Um, unfortunately, her dad threw it out, and I'm still mad about that on her behalf. But oh. uh, I, I am glad that, if nothing else, this girl power-oriented Final Fantasy 
takes such precedence in people's hearts and has remained there for for so long. It's definitely male gazy. I mean, it, it literally does have a hot tub scene, but at yeah, the same time, they, <laughs> they all have yeah. a hot tub scene. Well, as long as we're here on sacred ground, no one's looking. I am going to be that person and say that I like Final Fantasy X too better than Final Fantasy X for a myriad of reasons. Wow. I think that probably if I take a step back and examine the two of them, Final Fantasy X is ultimately the stronger game. But my personal preference is for the battle system, for the nonlinear aspects of the missions in the way that they kind of build on one another with their own little stories that I can explore kind of at my leisure, the multiple unlockable endings, the way that they continue to update the world. It, it didn't, it, I think when Kotaku said that it's all the fun without the self-importance, it didn't have all of these really long monologues from Seymour about how Spira <laughs> is actually the spiral of death or whatever. And it's like, it was just lighter. And yeah, like any Final Fantasy with a job system is okay by me. So I like Final Fantasy X too. Okay, next up, time compression. Yes, we got another controversial one. We're starting out with two kind of controversial ones. Number nine is Final Fantasy VIII, which is my sentimental favorite Final Fantasy, and it had to be in the top ten, so there you go. Ash, are you a Final Fantasy VIII stan? I am, for oh, a couple yes. of reasons. See, yes. I like you, Ash. See, I knew why I, I, I knew I liked <laughs> you for a reason, Ash. I, I... I love Final Fantasy VIII for all for all the weird that it represents in Final Fantasy. Like to me, Final Fantasy VIII might be the closest to playing a fever dream that any video game has come. <laughs> it, it really is, isn't it? it? Yeah, Especially it really the time compression is. bits. Yeah, just everything about it just has this kind of weird, dreamlike, abstract quality that that really comes across when you're playing the game. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that all of its plot twists, you know, work or make a lot of sense. Like again, the whole orphanage thing. Oh. We actually all grew up together, but the GS made us forget. That, to me, to my mind, is still one of the dumbest, like, <laughs> quote-unquote plot twists to this day. But at the same time, it, it couldn't have come in a more lovable package, right? And seeing the seeing the teenage angst that, uh, you know, that Squall and Renoa's relationship defined, oh, yeah. looking back on it for, from the, quote-unquote, wisdom of older age, it's just it kind of just makes me laugh, and, and I totally get why it was exactly the game I needed to play at, at the time that I did, which was when I was a teenager. It, it's got such a unique world that, that's never quite been replicated in another Final Fantasy. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, this might be controversial, but I still think it represents the absolute pinnacle of, nu of Nobuo Uematsu's career. That is still my favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack. Mm. And I think he even outdid himself with, uh, with six and eight. Like, as great as six's soundtrack is, FF8 just hits different for me. And uh, yeah, I really, I, I don't think it's aged particularly well in certain aspects, but I love it nonetheless. And I, I love, again, the dream, the, the abstract dreamlike, just 
straight up weird quality it has. And that still comes through today. I've been playing FF8 Remastered on my Switch, and it, it I love how unabashedly uh, courageous the game is. They were not scared to follow up the, you know, the massive FF7 with something weird and offbeat and experimental. And I, I really respect the game for that. Nadia, you hated it, though. I didn't hate it. I just you really hated it. <laughs> no, okay. Here's I just didn't like the world so much. Like, I'm sorry, I didn't find it very fascinating, but I did like certain elements of it. I really like Laguna. I think Laguna is a great character. I think he's a tragic character, despite his like really happy facade, and that just makes him all the more tragic to me. It's a kind of a vicious loop. Yeah, and I did love certain parts of the music. I will say that. I didn't like it more than six, of course, but I still think Man with the Machine Gun is one of the best battle themes ever composed in the Final Fantasy series. I just kind of wish that maybe the game was more about Laguna and less about Squall. I did like the link between them. I still love the fact that even though they're father and son, they're complete opposites. And I just like the fact that an RPG tried that because RPGs are so obsessed with destiny and following in your father's footsteps and blah, 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 blah. And here Laguna <laughs> is just like a, a, a puppy dog who's off in his own world and, and Squall is Squall. So I love the fact that Square Enix did that. So I do appreciate certain things about Final Fantasy VIII. The battle system, is, I think, is what I hated the most. I just got tired of it and I said, forget this. I loved Final Fantasy VIII pretty much from the start. I think that it has one of the coolest worlds in any of any of the Final Fantasy games. It was, I don't know, it was just visually interesting in so many ways. I loved Every single town had its own personality, whether it was, um, what was it, Fisherman's Haven or something like uh, that? Horizon. Fisherman's Horizon. Yeah, Fisherman's Horizon. Sorry. I, I loved the gardens. I loved going to, was it Galbadia, um, where where the sorceresses were, which kind of was a little bit like France, I suppose, but it had even down to the fact that it had its own little triumph arch. I don't know. It's just, it was a cool world. Uh, and then Esther and going up into the, into the space station with the sorceresses. Uh, I thought the entire thing with the lunar cry was deeply ridiculous and yet awesome. <laughs> right, yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Deeply ridiculous and yet awesome. There, And, and there's a lot, I would say FF8, it, a lot of FF8 could be described like that. And I, I again, I think that's a good thing. Um, I like when Final Fantasy gets weird and experimental, and I'm not sure there's any game in the series uh, that, that gets that across quite like 8. But yeah, I, I do agree. Uh, that certain aspects haven't aged well. The battle system I don't find to be that uh, exciting to go back to. The junction system I think is a bit. I mean, it does allow you to break the game, which is cool. I like I, I like gameplay systems that really allow you to really get into them and, and turn them and twist them and bend them to your will and and maybe break the game. And eight absolutely allows you to do that. But I don't know if it's if it's the most fun game to go back to just in a pick up and play sense. I find games like seven or nine or ten to be mm -hmm. easier to just pick up and play. And have yeah, same. I don't know. I found myself being able to get back into Final Fantasy VIII surprisingly easily when I was playing it on Nintendo Switch. I was like, yes, this feels right to me. And if you look at it as like, oh, I have to sit here and, and draw spells and everything, that that's just a much lighter aspect of the game than it actually lets on. If you understand the battle system kind of well enough, you can very quickly get to a point where you're feeling very comfortable with it. And then the game just moves at a pace that's kind of faster than I remembered it. And stuff like, you know, the beachhead attack, that, that's really exciting stuff, right? Uh, going through all of the seed examinations and 
it's surprisingly good looking game even to this day. Yeah. There's just so much to like about Final Fantasy VIII, and it warms my heart that we've now apparently come around on it enough that people are like going, Final Fantasy VII Remake is awesome. Final Fantasy VIII Remake next. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'd give it a try if there's a remake. I still don't like Squall that much, though. Nah, never been. He's not the most interesting character. And that, I, you know, I think that's, that kind of touches on maybe one of FF8's weaker aspects, just its characters in general. Uh, Squall isn't the most interesting main character we've had. Renoa kind of... She kind of falls away from me compared to characters with more defined personalities like Tifa, uh, Dagger, Yuna. Um, and, you know, and like Zell is is cool, but he's, you know, he's the jock who loves hot dogs, right? And then Selfie. <laughs> she's she's the he's ditzy the girl who wields nunchucks. You know, Quist I will is, not hear yeah. a word of criticism for Selfie. You I mean, I don't dislike back. Selfie. I, I just like that's the thing is like there, there aren't, there isn't that much of a character to H character tr- enough for me to dislike them. They're just kind of there, you know. Like Irvine is cool, but he's just kind of there. Selfie again, Quistus. They're just, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I have a lot that I can rely on to define them as characters. They all seem a little bit one note, other than Squall, who was, you know, he was the one who was explored the most, of course. But I just, yeah, when I think of, you know, the, the uh, Final Fantasy's greatest characters, pretty much none of eight end up on my list, other than Laguna. Laguna, Laguna is he's the, the yeah. star of the freaking game. Yeah, Laguna yeah. Is, the, is the one exception, but yeah. Cypher's all right, too. He's a good character. I just, he, I, I spend that entire game just wanting to punch him. I can't stand <laughs> that guy. He's very punchable, yeah. Very, I, I, I do like the ending thing. It got me when you see him smile finally. I, you know, I get that he was... He, he had a hard time, and I get that. And so uh, that did ring true with me when you finally see him smile. That's a really nice development. But mostly, I just wanted to punch him. And I felt bad for Squall, and Squall's kind of an asshole. So for, you know, for, for Cypher to be such a jerk that you feel bad for Squall, that's, that's yeah, an that's, accomplishment that has to be right bad. there. Yeah. I liked, I liked seeing him get owned by Gilgamesh. That was all right. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty great, yeah. I love Final Fantasy VIII. It will always be my favorite Final Fantasy sentimental and I think that it embodies a lot of the good qualities of Final Fantasy. The, ex- the spirit of experimentation, the willingness to take risks with a blockbuster franchise. And sometimes it blows up in Final Fantasy's face. And sometimes you get some kind of quirky, weird, interesting game like Final Fantasy VIII that might be very different and unconventional, but certainly isn't boring. Next up. Next, try laughing out loud. What? Come on, show me. You probably shouldn't laugh anymore. Yes, you know that laugh well. It's number eight is Final Fantasy X, which a lot of people would put at number one. Well, at least a few people. I know that there are plenty, especially people who might be in their 20s, who count this as their absolute favorite. And for a long time, it was really high up there for me. It's a little bit lower now, but I can't deny that maybe this was the last of the Final Fantasies as I kind of knew the series to be. And then after that, it got weird, (laughs) as it were. I was saying, I think I thought it got weird with 10. That's a consensus, I thought. 
I I see I I could see it both ways. I I feel as though Final Fantasy kind of entered a new age, as it were, after ten. Uh, everything after that after that just kind of felt different to me in a way. I, it's kind of hard to quantify exactly how, but we'll absolutely come right out and say that Final Fantasy ten is one of, if not my favorite game in the series. And it is totally because I am, as Cat put it, in my twenties. That's exactly why 10 is my favorite. Yep, totally. No, um, no. I, 10 is like in my top three favorite Final Fantasies. It's It has occupied the number one spot for quite a while, though as as of late, I've been kind of, you know, it's kind of been sharing uh, spaces with a couple of other Final Fantasies, but I adore this game. And I think the, the reason for that mainly comes down to its world. Uh, Spira, to me, is not just one of the most enduringly interesting and uh, irresistible locations that or worlds that Final Fantasy has ever explored, I think in, in just games in general, Spira has a has a lived-in sense with a, with a uh, its own culture, its own society, its own religious history that really permeates throughout the game and, and actually really has a tremendous impact on, on its storytelling and the way its story plays out. And uh, I... I love that. I wanted to live in this world. I wanted to stay in it for as long as possible. I wanted to learn all of all the Albed alphabet so so I could talk to all the uh Oh yeah, know, that different... was actually a really cool feature, yeah. honestly. A great reason to keep replaying, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And and you know, and FF10 for all of it, all of its, you know, sometimes uh goofy aspects unintentionally so like Titus's laughing scene and everything. It it presented a surprisingly sober look at some uncomfortable issues such as racism, which, you know, in the way that uh, especially uh, racism with a religious source with the way that Waka kind of looks down on and, and treats Riku and the other Albed um, because of, you know, because of his religious background as a child of Yevon. Right. Like it 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 certainly looks at, at uh, some aspects of real life society with a pretty sobering sense of reality. And uh, it and Titus, you know, and Titus gets a bad rap and. He gets a bad rap in the same way Hope does, in my in my opinion. I think I think Hope deserves a lot better than he gets, and I think Titus does as well. Yes, I realize he is so obnoxious and he's so annoying and he's so punchable throughout, you know, probably the first sixty percent, seventy percent of the game, but that's by design. And the Titus you get at the end of FF ten is categorically not the same Titus you get at the beginning of FF ten. And I, I think that says a lot to his character development. Uh, and, and the fact that he is as annoying as he is for much of the game is intentional. And I think, the, I don't know, I think the fact that by the, by the end of the game, he is a completely changed person, mainly due to Yuna and his interactions with her, um, I think speaks a lot to the strength of FF10 storytelling. And I, I also still think that Yuna is one of the very best female characters, uh, heroines, Final Fantasy has ever had. I love Yuna. Um, so I, I could I could just go on about this game to death. I really love FF10, and I would have put it in the top three. Can I just say that Jack Braska and Oren would have made a really good story just by themselves? Yes. I'm still waiting for 10-3 to, to be that exact yeah. prequel. I still want that. I mean, it could have been interesting if Final Fantasy X featured them first, and the you know at the end, they fail, basically, and Sin mm-hmm. is reborn. But in Final Fantasy X-2 is Yuna's story and it's breaking the cycle. That'd be cool. I'd be into that. Mm -hmm. 
there's just one thing that I would remove from both of these games, and that is Titus, who <laughs> I do not like. <laughs> He's terrible. And I think Yuna is the real main character in that game. And Titus just asks, adds a lot of weird philosophical existential questions that the game doesn't really need and muddies the water quite a bit. I think it's a very strong story of self-sacrifice and breaking the cycle and everything without all of the kind of the weirder aspects of it. And honestly, it's just Yuna's story is compelling enough on its own. We don't need daddy issues thrown in there, too. <laughs> yeah, there, there are certainly daddy issues. And those really come to a head in Dissidia, too. I think they're, they're both in that. Yeah. And of course, they're always beating up on each other and yelling at each other. Titus, whose dad is Jack Sparrow. Totally and... Jack Sparrow. Oh, my God. Right. Hot, but Jack Sparrow. Hot Jack Sparrow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that, that Final Fantasy X is and should primarily be Yuna's story, but I, I don't know. I, I don't dislike Titus's presence, and I do... Titus is even like, listen to my story. It's like, it's not your story. <laughs> right. Come on. <laughs> right. And, and, and yeah, I, I think Yuna was was kind of thrust into the spotlight in Ten Two in a way that she should have been more in in the, the original FF10. Like, I, it always rubbed me the wrong way that even though Ten was ostensibly both their stories that Titus was the one on the front of the box and Yuna was relegated, relegated to the back. That always bothered me. Uh, to, to me, FF10 is very much both their stories. and um, But but I do think that Titus does give the player a uniquely wide-eyed view into this brand new world they have no context for, no, really nothing to measure anything by. They are a, a stranger in a strange world, and that wouldn't have come through as much for, uh, from Yuna's perspective, because she isn't a stranger in that world. She was born in it. And so I I really love the the feeling of going on a true adventure and, and, a, and a true pilgrimage with a group of people that don't always agree. Uh, again, that, that uh, kind of, there, there's a lot of infighting between Riku and Waka and Lulu and Waka. Well, it seems like Waka just seems to fight with everybody. <laughs> Everyone right? and Waka. Who doesn't love Lulu, though? She's so great. Lulu's great. I know. Lulu's great, uh, and so is Riku. And uh, just, I don't know. In general, I just really enjoy the vibe of FF10. And uh, more more than perhaps any other game in the series, I felt like I was truly taken on a journey, on a real adventure across this world. An adventure that had uh, theological meaning, spiritual meaning for the characters involved. And... I just love that lived in uh, that lived in aspect of Spira, and uh, I I really yeah I I have very little bad to say about FF10, even if it's not necessarily my clear and away favorite these days as it used to be, but it's still easily in my top two or three. I still like it because of the Blitzball, which See, is just <laughs> I want to play Blitzball. Hate, well, I love the idea of Blitzball. But the way that you actually play it, I hated it. I, I, mm, I couldn't stand that many games. I love that they just liked the Captain Tsubasa NES game so much that they decided to put it in Final Fantasy X. Uh-huh. But then also make it in water soccer for some reason. It's cool. I don't care. All I know is that long before I ever played Madden or FIFA, I was running, wandering around Spira going, you want to play Blitzball? You want to play Blitzball? And I was down <laughs> with it. All right. Next up, an underappreciated return to Ivalice. I 
I think that this is one of the most controversial entries in this list, and I keep saying this over and over again, but what Final Fantasy isn't controversial, yeah, they're all really? Kinda, they're all kind of hot topics. Right. <laughs> that would be number seven is Final Fantasy twelve, the game that, when it debuted in Japan in 2006, the first person in line walked up to the people who were giving out the game, the Square Enix head honchos, bowed very low, and then said, please remake Final Fantasy VII because <laughs> that is what people really wanted. He Final Fantasy it. XII was like, I don't want this. I want Final Fantasy X. I want Final Fantasy VII. And it took us a long time for us to appreciate the relative merits of Final Fantasy XII, I feel. Don't you think, Nadia? That's definitely the case. I am actually a latecomer to twelve. I only played when uh, Zodiac Age came out. And I was really uh, it was a game I wasn't really expecting to like as much as I did. I really like the world of Ivelisse. Um, I've said that I think Square Enix, as far as their worlds have created, that's one of the only worlds where they really have their shit together and they know what's going on. And uh, it kind of abides by a certain set of rules that carries from game to game because, of course, Ivelisse is in a few games. Um, And I think one of the reasons it's looked down upon a little bit and it's been a little bit slow to get recognition is because this is the game that followed Final Fantasy XI. And Eleven was extremely controversial for being a numbered Final Fantasy, as we talked about in the uh, quote-unquote bad Final Fantasy list. Another thing we kind of mentioned is that Final Fantasy XII has a very MMO-inspired battle system, even though it is a single-player game. And that is not everyone's cup of tea. I do not mind it, because when I... But that has to do with the fact that I came to the game so late, and by the time I had come to the game, I had played... Xenoblade Chronicles, which is another good example of a game that gave us uh, MO, MMO mechanics in a single-player experience, and I enjoyed that very much. So, yeah, I enjoyed Final Fantasy's battle system. I really enjoyed its world. I think it's a really, really creative world. I love the Viera race. I think they're amazing, and I'm mad that you can't play as male Viera in Final Fantasy XIV, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and, uh... I guess the only unfortunate thing about Final Fantasy XII is Vaughn, who's the main character. So, so cut right, Titus. He's very much Titus in that, like, hey, what's Balthier doing? Oh, he looks so cool. Hey, what's Fran doing? Because Fran and Balthier, frankly, I just said this on Twitter today, uh, at the time of this recording, I said Fran and Balthier are like the number one RPG couple in my heart. I think they're just so, such a good team. They rely upon each other. They respect each other so, so much. And it's kind of a situation where all they have is each other. Balthier's an outcast for his own reasons. Fran is an exile from her race. And once you're exiled from the Viera, you you can't really go back. I once called them RPG's oldest married couple. And I still feel like that's the case. I just think they're incredible together. And that, to me, really boosts the the game's appeal. Because I am very much a character person. Yeah, Final Fantasy XII sneakily has one of the better casts in the series, I think. It does. It's a very, I don't want to say, oh, all the other Final Fantasies are for children and not very adult, but Final Fantasy XII is a game about adults, and that's not something that happens in Final Fantasy very often. Uh, I say it, it's a game about adults, but again, Vaughn is just kind of in the middle saying, hey guys, what's going on in this thread? Yeah, but even I mean, Vaughn's not that bad. I kind of right. actually find him less annoying than I do. Um, uh, then I do, Titus. See, I don't know. I think FF12 is a game about really boring adults, and and I don't <laughs> see I don't see how you can like or or be okay with Vaughn, but hate Titus the way you do, Cat. I Uh-oh, Vaughn is the most. He's just the biggest nothing of a. 
I don't know. Vaughn to me is like a wet fart. If, if a character could be described <laughs> as such, Riff that is rat, what street rat. That is just what Vaughn is to me, and he just doesn't. I he just he he never resonated with me. Um, not neither really did Ash very much. Uh, I will absolutely agree that Balthier and Fran are are fantastic characters, and they're probably the only bright spot for me of FF12. I I get why people who love it, I get why they do. I'm not going to sit over here and call it a bad game or anything, but it's not for me. It it is one of those times where Final Fantasy changing (laughs) from game to game and each one having its own particular approach and vibe and experimental you know, whatever, I fell on the wrong side of that with FF12. Mm. It, I, I played the original, I got about 10 hours in, and I bounced off it really hard, and then I played the Zodiac Age years later, and I liked it a lot more. I will say that Zodiac Age fixed a lot of what I didn't like about Vanilla 12, but ultimately I still kind of ended up dropping it around halfway through, just because I couldn't be bothered to care. I didn't care about that world. I, Ivalice I like, I've never loved Ivalice. I like it but this, like, for me, 12 is the least interesting Ivalice has ever been. I love FF Tactics. Love it. Give me that Ivalice. But this, the one in 12, it just didn't do it for me. The vast majority of the characters I could not have cared less about. And I'm sorry, but that battle system just bored the hell out of me. And I don't I like, like I don't like setting up gambits. I, I buy video games and I play them to play them. I don't want to, to program my game to play itself. I want to play it, I mean, and that's the that's not quite what it is. Eh, it, I mean, especially it when you're fighting like bosses, that, you have to do uh, yeah. a lot more than just let the game play itself. Well, and and uh, you know what, I will give you that because some people like to criticize thirteen for the same thing, and and I would have said the same thing to them, which is in thirteen's toughest boss fights, the game can't play itself, or else you lose. So that's a fair that's a fair argument. Um, but I, I find the visual style to be boring. The music is very filmic. Well, how the- can you call the visual style of Final Fantasy XII boring? It's one of the like visually <laughs> richest, most interesting worlds that in Final Fantasy period. Like that, if you want to talk about the yes. combination of elements, is sci-fi and medieval is combination is really strong, and I think that is outlined in just the first few minutes, which are some of the most exciting first few minutes in any Final Fantasy game. It's so intense. Really? You Do feel we have yeah. like the same 12? What, what's, it's, what, it's, what, what exciting thing happens in the first Holy few cow. minutes? Going, going through the huge, like, the wedding, amazing the wedding, wedding procession? That's pretty cool. Like, which is this, like, intense spectacle, right. which then segues directly into this amazing airship battle uh and the invasion of uh of the of the country that they're in and it's good come on but, but you just said it the invasion of the country they're in you couldn't even be bothered to remember the name and that's kind of oh, what come i mean on. i'm just <laughs> saying, i don't remember I don't any know. names ash if you you've known me long enough to know that no, i never I remember right. names i don't know i just and it, it may be it, it's certainly a uh it's a personal thing it 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 comes down to taste i'm not the biggest fan of high fantasy medieval settings anyway I'm kind of more into the modern fantasy or steampunk or sci-fi aesthetic. So, and and I absolutely admit that that may be one of the reasons that I kind of fall on the wrong side of twelve. But I just, yeah, I I, I don't know that the battle system didn't do it for me. The the soundtrack, while it's not a bad soundtrack, it's very filmic in the sense that it's very just kind of in the background, and it 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 adds character to each scene but it doesn't really stand out the way that i look forward to video game soundtracks standing out especially final fantasy soundtracks like i don't know to me i i I see it as star wars the final fantasy game it's it's star wars you're you're basically playing 
a Final Fantasy version of Star Wars, given, you know, the characters and what they're up to, fighting against the Empire. You know, you've got uh, Balthier as the obvious counterpart for Han Solo. I I don't know. It it just feels like it was trying to be more of a movie and not in the sense that I like games to be movies. So not my thing. I, I would not have included anywhere close to the top 10. But I also will not sit here and say it's a bad game. It's just not for me. Controversial. Hot. I do know that Final Fantasy XII was definitely a game that I wrote off until I played Zodiac Age. And Jeremy Parrish, whose opinion I value very much when it comes to Final Fantasy, he's loved this game like pretty much from the start. And I was able to see a lot of the strengths, I think, of Final Fantasy XII. I did actually like the world. I liked the hunting, the hunts that mm-hmm. it had. Um, I came to appreciate the nuances of the Gambit system and being able to program in everything for your party. Uh, I think the battle, the the actual boss battles can be quite intense and definitely are not just rope programming, as it were. I think Baltier and Fran are great. And just having those two characters alone elevates things. And even characters like Pinello are, you know, they're not unlikable. <laughs> Which I, <laughs> I recognize is... <laughs> no. I recognize is damning with faint praise, but I just like the look of this game. I, I think the art of it is really marvelous, especially when you're in the very first city and it's like, it it feels very full. It's bustling with life. It's bustling with interesting characters and weird monster things and everything. It's weird that like, I, um, I have Synthesasia and it just, it's probably the only Final Fantasy game that really triggers it. Like where I can really associate uh, Ivelisse with the, the colors and the, that it represents. It's hard to describe, but yes, it, it's just so rich and so well-defined that it just triggers every happy part of my brain. I was going to say that the International Zodiac job system, which includes uh, is included in Zodiac Age, like fixed so much about this game, including Same. like the license board and everything. So yeah, it found its fullest expression years yeah. later. So I absolutely do agree that Zodiac Age makes 12 way better across the board. I, I, I always prefer it when... Uh, characters have more defined roles in my parties. I, I don't really like it when a character can be anything. Um, I, mm-hmm. I get that. I get why that approach is more fun to some because you can literally build your party to be whatever you want. But I like it when you know, for example, FF4's approach of you know, Rose is your white mage archer. That's what she's always going to be. That is her role in the party. And I like being able to slot characters into those defined roles as opposed to making anybody whatever I want them to be. And so Zodiac Age went a long way toward kind of you assign those roles, but you still do lock characters into specific roles. And I, I like that about it more. Um, I will say that I don't think 12 for me leads with its best foot visually. I find I found a lot of the early game areas like Rabinaster and the, uh, the, the surrounding highlands. It's all very piss filter yeah right a yeah lot they, of they desert, are kind of dry yeah it's dry desert. deserty you know and so i really like the the vibrant colors and kind of more anime aesthetic of games like ff13 i guess but i will admit that later in 12 you do get to some more interesting locales but unfortunately i think i ended up dropping it uh, zodiac age that is at uh whatever the snowy mountain area is after the tomb of wraithwall that's where i just I just couldn't stick with it. I tried. I really tried. And I just... Well, uh, yeah. sorry, I was going to say one interesting thing about uh, the, the area you were describing. 
it does have a wet season, a rainy season, I think. And that really changes the environment and where you can it go does. and what enemies you fight. And I think that was really interesting. I agree. That was actually really cool when I came back to the area and it was a it was like the rainy season. I really did appreciate that. Yeah. Final Fantasy XII. It's never going to stop being controversial, but it's certainly one of the most <laughs> mm. interesting entries in the series. And I would 100% put it in the top 10 because I'm far more likely to ever play to play Final Fantasy XII again versus, say, I don't know, Final Fantasy XIII or Final Fantasy XV. Right. It had a surf. It had a lot of ambition, and it was just a really interesting game. And I think it's kind of underappreciated. One game that is not underappreciated and is undeniably strong. Also happens to be Hironobu Sakaguchi's favorite entry. Yes, number six on our list, Final Fantasy IX, the game that was basically one gigantic love letter to Final Fantasy and really was the end of an era. It marked the end of the beginning of the first nine entries of Final Fantasy, the the NES, the SNES, the PlayStation era, and the dawn of a hmm, era that it was a little more problematic in its own way. But it's no surprise that Sakaguchi sees this one as his absolute favorite. And for many fans, it is number one on this list with a bullet. And I'm not going to deny, I think it's probably the best written of them. I mean, this game is freaking funny. Yeah, it really is. I, I have so much love for Nine. It's in my top three Final Fantasies. It, it's very difficult for me to pin anything negative on Nine. Really, the only thing I can think of overtly, and it's the same thing I think a lot of people would say, which is the battle system, even though it's ATV, which is great, it's just way too slow. The game needs yeah. to be at least twice the speed, or, or one and a half times the speed it is at any given moment. Uh, and that's a shame, because the rest of the game, I think, is generally pretty unassailable. Um, you know, Some of the characters, like uh, like Amaranth and uh, <laughs> uh, Queena, whatever, yeah. you know, they're, they're kind of they're nothing characters, but they're made up for that by the fact that the, 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 the important characters, right? The characters with the capital C, uh, Zidane and Vivi and Steiner, Dagger, Freya, like some of the best characters Final Fantasy's ever had, right? And I'll, I'll come out right out and say it. Nine's ending had me in tears. I, I was gutted by what I thought had actually happened. And I was such a big fan of uh, Zidane and Dagger as a couple. And I just wanted to see them have their happy ending. And I just love the... I love the drama in Nine. You know, the the, the way that, that Zidane throws his cape off in the ending with the music sting perfectly timed. It's a stage play, essentially. And mm -hmm. I love that about Nine. It has so much character, so much heart, um, so much charm to it, right? There's just, there's so much charm in every little pixel of that world, every little polygon. And um, the, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, and even though it is a little bit more lighthearted to start, it gets really dark in the back half as it deals with questions of identity 
and and fate, of course, and fate being a pretty obvious common element in, in RPGs. But I, I really do love the way that Nine uh, approaches the theme of identity. And uh, the You're Not Alone sequence toward the end of the game is still one of my favorites in any game. Uh, and Zidane, in general, is, is maybe still my favorite Final Fantasy protagonist. I came into Final Fantasy IX very late, and uh, this is something we discussed in great detail on Acts of the Blood God. We did a whole Final Fantasy IX report. You can go back and listen to that and read my writings as well on the topic. Uh, as I said before, uh, I think earlier, I mentioned how I got the game on the PlayStation. When I went to the States, I brought it home. It was so deeply cut and scratched that I couldn't play it. And I was really mad at Final Fantasy IX for a long time. And I, <laughs> I finally tried it for myself when it came out on the PlayStation 4 and had the fast forward and everything, all those bells and whistles, which thank God it did, because I'll be honest with you, if it had not had that fast forward feature, I probably would have given up on it mm -hmm. because those battle loadings are so slow. The movements are so slow. Thankfully, the, the fast forward was there and I could appreciate the game more for its characters, which are great. It, its music is fantastic. I think Melodies of Life is one of the best overworld themes the series has yes. ever had. It's just makes me so fuzzy when I hear it. Um, I do still have complaints. Uh, Freya, for example, her story is just dropped, and she's such a cool character. Yeah. I love dragoons. I like rats. I have female rat dragoon. Oh, shit, that's amazing. Oh, okay, <laughs> her story's over. Great. Okay, bye. Uh, I do like Queena. I think Queena's awesome. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who joins the last second, though. Amaranth, you said his name was? Amaranth, <laughs> yeah. He, he's a nothing burger. He's, I have no reason why he's there except to be like, uh, you know, the, the foil to the happy character. You, everything you know is a lie. No, it's not. Oh, okay, I learned my lesson. Right. And that's yeah. all he does. I don't even, he's so late in the, in the game that you don't even use him for your party. Why would you? Uh, yeah. But v Vivi is perfect. I mean, I have nothing bad to say about Vivi. The whole, I, the whole oh, yeah. scene where they go to the Black Mage Village and Vivi learns about what his fate will ultimately be and how these, these little Black Mages are dealing with death. That hit me pretty hard. That was a really good scene. Uh, I do think the um, You're Not Alone scene is a bit convoluted, to be honest with you. The, the music's okay. fantastic, but it was just kind of like, Zidane is sad. Let's let's be <laughs> anime heroes and cheer him up. Okay, we're good. Sure. The game I has mean, a I lot admit of I'm a story. sucker for that kind of stuff. And I was probably also going, you know, I was probably the right age at the time. Like, I was in my right. brooding, you know, older adolescent phase, 15, 16. So it was probably exactly what I could identify with at the time. But I admit that I have an easy mark for that kind of anime power of friendship you know, the, the, nonsense, the anime but, love but it's good nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. We all have that that age where we see a scene that affects us deeply and we never forget it. And we it's just part of us. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And I think that it says a lot that as playing Final Fantasy nine as an adult with no real nostalgia glasses and I still really enjoyed it. It's not my top three. I'd put it maybe somewhere in my top five. But that, I think that speaks to the strength of the game by itself. It is a good game. It is a damn good Final Fantasy game. And I I see why uh, ProZD bribed uh, Sakaguchi on his video to say, number one is Final Fantasy nine for handing him a 20. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Nice. I like Final Fantasy nine a lot because it's the one that will most consistently make me laugh. I think that its battle system is rock solid. I think mm -hmm. its world is beautiful. I think that... It just perfectly captures so much of what I want in a Final Fantasy game, where on the one hand, you got these kind of fantasy elements and everything, right? But on the other hand, you have just this absolute wild high technology and airships and everything. It just 
has its own distinct vibe without feeling forced and a real sense of uh, cohesion in its world building that is lost in later games. I think the Vivi storyline is one of the absolute best in Final Fantasy, period. Oh, just and, and just the way it's it's resolved in the ending is just it, it just it drives a knife through your stomach, man. It's it's really good. Vivi is so relatable. What a great character. We talked a lot about this in a Retronauts episode about Final Fantasy IX and dug in quite deep. I think that the secret strength of Final Fantasy IX is the active time events system, where it's just like, well, what's going on with Steiner? And then you just get these wonderful little vignettes that, on the one hand, are very funny, and on the other, always seem to uh, manage to often deepen the characters in some kind of meaningful way. I'm not going to say that the cast is 100% amazing, but it is the, the, the best characters in that game, like Steiner and Vivi, are some of the all-time greatest mm. Final Fantasy characters. Definitely. Period, so. I'm just mad about Freya. I'll, I'll die mad about Freya. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally fair. And and again, I mean, uh, Zidane still stands proud for me as, as maybe my favorite Final Fantasy protagonist. I mean, his whole, you know, every character in Nine had a quote that Square associated with them, and, and Zidane's was... Uh, you don't need a reason to help people. And I mean, what, especially after coming from, you know, like a seven and eight, right, with Cloud and Squall, who, you know, are kind of kind of assholes in their own way. And Zidane, he just wants to, hell, he wants to help people. He wants to be a force for good. And how can you not get behind that? And he does so without being, you know, at least for the first 75% of the game, a whiny sports brat like Titus. So, <laughs> you know, he's just, he's a good guy who wants to, you know, maybe, maybe a bit, uh, maybe a bit sexist at the beginning, first half of the game when he's, you know, kind of treating Dagger like a piece of meat instead of a person. But he comes around and he, he betters himself and, uh, you know, eventually does treat her with the respect she deserves. But I just love this. I, he's the kind of guy, like, I don't think I'd want to have a beer with Cloud or Squall, right? I would right. totally have a beer with Zidane, like in, in a second. I would have a beer with Cloud and just make fun of him the entire time. <laughs> yeah, that's he true. He wouldn't even know he's being made fun of. But uh, shout out to Dissidia 2, where there's a sequence where Laguna admits he pulled Zidane's tail, and Zidane didn't appreciate it. He wanted to see if it was real. and <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he says, turns out I it was think real. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's a scene where he talks to Squall, and they don't know their father and son, and he's basically making fun of Squall for being emo. It's really cute. Nice. I love it. I got I got to uh, check out those cutscenes again. I, I kind of bounced off the first Dissidia, so I never saw much of Zero One Two, and uh, I got to check it out. So many great lore gags in Dissidia, including references to the way that uh, the Emperor from Final Fantasy Two dies, like where he goes a very specific <laughs> yes. that became kind of a mean and <laughs> meme in Japan. Oh, nice. And in fact, I think Titus actually makes fun of it. Yeah, it's great when you're seeing characters <laughs> making lore gags. I love that. Okay, we are on to the top five, Ooh, everybody. The top exciting. five Final Fantasy games of all time. And I think you can guess what most of them are. Though there might be a couple surprises in here. Next up, the game that made Heroic Sacrifices cool.
Yes, number five is Final Fantasy IV, which if you were to say, Cap, which Final Fantasy on this list would you just pick up and play anytime, anyplace? I would probably pick up Final Fantasy IV because it is just so tight, Nadia. It's just so tight. I still pick up Final Fantasy IV on a complete collection every once in a while and just play through it because you're absolutely right. It does keep you on a path, and that's something we complain about in, say, Final Fantasy XIII, but it's just so tight. You're right. It is. The, the sequence of events is so satisfying that it just feels good to play, especially if you're an RPG, like a retro RPG nut, and you want to see where it kind of all started in a way. Final Fantasy IV is a very, very easy game to pick up and play all over again. And that's not something I can even say about six. I find six a bit more tedious to play. But no, four is definitely a do-do-do-do-do-do. Hey, I have a few hours to blow. I'm going to do this. And I do several times. I was saying before in the previous episode that Final Fantasy II basically lays the groundwork for Final Fantasy IV. Final Fantasy IV is Final Fantasy II if it were good. You know. Pretty much. They they ditched the mm-hmm. whole experimental battle system in favor of everyone has a job. Uh, Cecil is a dark knight turned into a paladin. Rose is an archer and a healer. Kane's a dragoon. Uh, Yang is a monk and completely awesome. Uh, Edward is a bard who sucks. And uh, yeah, you have like <laughs> a, a whole cast of characters that joins you and eventually kills himself to save Cecil and his friends. It, well, and, and if only, and I, this doesn't sound bad because I actually really love FF4, but if only they actually did sacrifice themselves, because I think one of the very few things that I can I can really point to as a negative for FF4 is that it kind of undoes all of its own narrative consequences. It does. Pretty, pretty quickly after, you know, the after said characters seem like they have sacrificed themselves for the greater good. No, you're good. right. And I remember being disappointed by that for the first, you know, because I, again, my first JRPG was FF6, but then I went back and mm, played same. FF4. And I loved it. And I remember being genuinely hurt and genuinely gutted when, you know, when Palm and Porum sacrificed themselves, when Sid sacrificed himself. But they're all fine. And it's like, no, have the, you know, have the courage to stick with those narrative convictions. It would have made for story of sacrifice, you know, that much better. But despite that, I mean, look, there, there are always things I can criticize. But FF4 is the complete package. And I think it is the distilled essence of of where everything began mm-hmm. uh, with Final Fantasy, as most people know it. Um, and I agree, FF6, even though I might personally rank it higher, I don't think it's quite as fun to pick up and play. There, there's a bit more blow there. there. Is. And it's just, it's not quite as breezy and or as streamlined. And uh, I know you guys have mentioned it being linear as a potentially negative thing. I know Kat knows this about me. I don't mind that. I love linear games. I don't mind being on a set path, which is probably one reason I love 10 so much and also really like 13. Um, So I don't mind that it's straight up linear and that you're kind of guided on this adventure. It's still a great adventure nonetheless. And, you know, the the characters, maybe while they're a bit one note, they're still all absolutely iconic. And, um, you know, even even down to the ones like Edward, who are pretty much worthless. <laughs> we, we were talking about the after years. I don't know if you've ever played the after years, Ash, but uh, I was going to mention that. I unfortunately, I OK, have. yeah. So but we we did have to yeah. admit that Edward got a massive glow up in that game. He did. He did. That was that was one of the few things that after years did to, to justify its own existence, I would say. Um, or you know, if, if it even is justified, I don't know. It's FF4 is like it's like every bad fanfiction.net fanfic rolled into one game pretty much mm-hmm. right and it's just it's such a weird it's such a weird after years does not need to exist but 
Um, it, but at least it does because of Final Fantasy exactly. IV. And uh, it is just a fantastic classic Final Fantasy that's very hard to say anything negative about. And the soundtrack. Oh, God, what a banger. The soundtrack, soundtrack is, is just still one of the very best. Uh, yeah. I was just talking on Twitter today. Someone t- uh, talking to me about Inside the Giant or Within the Giant, which is what plays when Inside the Giant of Babel. Oh, one of my and favorites. the fact that they use it at the last stretch of the final dungeon is just so perfect. Such a great song. So good, and, and and to this day, it's still uh, you know kind of played with gameplay ideas that uh, we haven't really seen a whole lot since. Like the uh, is the dark elf's cave. Oh, the, yeah, the dark called, elf the one with the metallic. Had the magnetic equipment. cave. Yeah, that was yeah. interesting. The magnetic. I love that. That's still such a cool idea, especially for one uh, for such an early Final Fantasy game to explore. Really cool idea, and uh, yeah, just the, there. There's a sense of just real high adventure in Final Fantasy IV, and every character. Other than Edward feels important, <laughs> Poor Edward. and uh, and you just you know, and and not only that, but you have characters who have really stood the test of time, like Rydia, mm-hmm. for example. And that's another big narrative thing. Another big narrative risk that FF4 took is having a character join your party as a child, then go missing for a long time, then turn up as an adult. Like what a cool and idea! And she was pretty badass as an adult. And she was badass. And yeah. I loved uh, doing things like okay, she comes with a whole uh, kind of like a. a, a a card of lower summons and to get the high ones you have to prove yourself to the to like leviathan to asherah to and especially to bahamut like that's one of my favorite fights ever oh it's so good yeah and yeah and that's true there's there's a nice slate of side content there for those you know for who, who want to get everything out of their party members but it's not necessarily required to do so so even though ff4 is pretty linear there was quite a bit of side optional content too that you'd only find if you went out of your way to explore yeah and uh that's Holds especially true for the underground, which has several areas that are really kind of hidden, but you get really well rewarded for going in there, even though it's a pain in the ass. I love the moon. I so love the surface of the moon. I think it's one of my favorite locales in in an RPG because it's so creepy. I love the Lunarian theme that plays when you go through the tunnels. That's so, it still like puts chills down my spine. Such a good song. I'm actually, Final Fantasy XIV is showing hints of the next expansion might take place on the moon and i'm so i'm so stoked for that if it happens speaking of the moon and how final fantasy 4 has the best airship in the entire series the falcon no you start with the enterprise and you get the falcon you get to be in a giant Ooh. space whale it's oh, the awesome. whale of course a lunar whale that's you know i didn't know for years and years and years but you can actually sleep in sleep pods in the lunar whale they're just so like oh. advanced looking that you don't even realize they're beds <laughs> oh no i was just gonna say that the the airship thing I don't know if I agree with that. Mm. It's hard to compete with with both FF6s and actually 10-2s airships, I think. I really like the Celsius from 10-2. Oh, I hate that Not thing. <laughs> what? That's a terrible oh. design. It's so cool. It's, it's such an over-the-top, garish anime design, but that's why I love it. Next up, the only Final Fantasy that has its own fiesta.
Yes, number four is Final Fantasy V, which was number 25 on our top 25 RPG countdown. So slightly lower this time around. <gasps> a couple of games on this list have managed to squeak past it. But all in all, I think Final Fantasy V consistently is lauded for having not just the best battle system in the series, but one of the greatest battle systems of all time. I'm talking about its refined version of the battle system. So many of the best ideas of the battle system came out of Final Fantasy. The fact that the four-job fiesta exists with Final Fantasy V speaks to its overall staying power. And beyond that, it has a phenomenal soundtrack. The characters are okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think the story is like the greatest thing, but the summons, uh, like the monsters and the summons and everything are really good. Uh, X-Death is ridiculous, and I think he's great. But just from a, sh its mechanics are so good that it just elevates Final Fantasy V in so many ways. I think. Shout out to the fact that we did not get this game for the longest time. It was kind of legendary when I first got online. Everybody wanted five, and for ages they thought that we didn't get it because we got Mystic Quest instead. And that's not really true. We just didn't get five because I guess it was such an involved process to translate it. They just said, "Okay, you know what? Let's give them to six. And we did not get it until, gosh, the PlayStation compilation that came out and had the most terrible translation that you could possibly imagine. So shout out to the Wyvern being called Wyburn. Like, very clearly, you're translating uh -huh. a dragon, a, a thing with wings and breathing fire, and you named it Wyburn. Did you not associate anything in your head with that? I, I, it still mystifies me, and I love it. FF5, I, I have a lot of respect for, obviously. It is it is the genesis, as most people know it, of the job system that would later define games like Final Fantasy Tactics and Twelve and so many other games in the series. But as I mentioned earlier, for me, Final Fantasy is about the sum of its parts. And two, two very important you know segments of that are the characters and story. And I just don't care about about Bart's or but what Lena about Boko or or Reina, Sorry, Galoof or Fair. I just they're not bad characters. I they just don't. They're kind of one note, and the story is just very basic. But that's also a well trodden criticism of FF5. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of people who love FF5 will admit that hey, maybe the story and characters aren't the best. And unfortunately, that for me is enough to kind of. Not make me dislike it, but it just, it's not, it doesn't make me love the game. It just kind of falls somewhere in the middle for me. Uh, I would have put it a lot lower personally, but that's again just because of what I look for uh, in, in a Final Fantasy game. And five, while it has some of that, like in, in the fantastic battle system, it also doesn't have some of that in the very forgettable story and characters. Although I agree, the, uh, the soundtrack is great. Um, although, weirdly enough, the visuals almost felt like a step back to me from FF4. Yeah, or or it may it may maybe if not a step back, just not the kind of step forward that you see in no, not like six, like the transition from five. No, to like six. five to six yeah. is incredible. So it yeah, so yeah, five just kind of uh, it's just kind of there for me. It's in the middle. Uh, I don't I don't dislike it, but I don't particularly love it either. I feel meanwhile, Chris Kohler loves it so much that he wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I again, I get why the people who love it, I get why they do. Uh, but it just. For what I'm looking for, it just kind of, I kind of bounce off it. It's kind of a Rorschach test for the series, isn't it? it? Really Some is. people are just going, uh, you know, it doesn't speak to me in the same way as Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy IV. 
And then there are people like me who are like, no, I want to sit and I want to break all of these characters <laughs> over and over and over again. What kind of fascinating combinations can I come up with this time? Yeah, that's not me. As we have discussed many times in Acts of the Blood God, I am with Ash for the most part. I don't find the characters all that interesting. So it's really not a game I want to replay, even though I know it is by far probably the most replayable Final Fantasy on this list because... Uh, again, four job fiesta is certainly a thing. People have asked me, "Oh, are you going to particip- participate?" No, no, that, that ain't my jam. But if you want to do it, by all means, go ahead, have fun. I really, really respect Final Fantasy V's battle system and what it has done for God for RPGs in general. But it's just not what I yeah. want out of a Final Fantasy game. It has one of the best opening songs in the series' history. Yeah, yes. I do remember it very clearly. Agreed. Yeah. Dun. And it also has Battle on the Big Bridge. I mean, that's a fantastic. It's a shame it took us so long to recognize how great that song is. character named Butts. It sure does. It sure does. Right. I, I remember the, that was back during, like, you know, the days where FF5 was still considered this, you know, Japan-exclusive, mysterious, lost entry in Final Fantasy. And I remember, th- you know, playing patched ROMs yes. at the time, as, as many of us did, thinking, why why Butts? Like, why? I get Terra, I get Cloud, I get Squall. Why Butts? And of course, it wouldn't be until much later that uh, the proper translation would come through as Bart's, which really isn't no, it's that not. much better, to be fair. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. If it's, if it's even better it at all. by far the worst character name in the series. And who doesn't love Ferris, the Final Fantasy's residence trans mask NB character pirate? Arr. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Fer- Ferris is probably the most memorable character of that game to me. Uh, the, all the others kind of fall by the wayside, but Ferris... I like I, I always liked that she had a bit more to her, and uh, I can't remember the name of her. It's Sylvan, uh, the, the dragon, Sylvando, or Sylv. The dragon. Yeah, I don't Sylvia. want to call a dragon a pet, but but uh, yeah, whatever the name. Sil- Sylvia, you said. So okay, either way, I love that aspect of her yeah. character, and I just thought that Ferris, to my mind, kind of existed independently as her own character apart from the rest of the party, more than Bart's or uh, Reyna or Galoof did. Or Kryle, I guess, later on. I like that Bart's has an actual pet chocobo. Why don't more Final Fantasy characters have pet chocobos? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. It, it, it was kind of funny playing what was, what was essentially kind of a country bumpkin. Bart's himself was very uncomplicated, which is kind of there. He's just, just a just guy on a journey. To do what he needed to do. And, That's about it. Yeah. Good old Boko. I think Final Fantasy, if you want to talk about Spirit of Adventure, Final Fantasy V has it every bit as much as Final Fantasy IV and... I mean, just the fact that it introduces Gilgamesh, I think, puts it uh, way up there. Yeah, definitely. Whether you like a Final Fantasy IV story or Final Fantasy V's battle system, I think that they are both all-timers in their own way. And certainly Final Fantasy V is an incredibly significant part of RPG history. Maybe a newer 
addition to RPG history. One of gaming's greatest comeback stories is up next. Children of the land, do you hear? Echoes of truths that once rang clear. Two souls intertwined, one true love they did find, bringing land and heavens near. But flames that burn full bright soon fell dark. Memories dimmed by shadowed hearts in the Yes, number three, feeling dizzying heights. And mm. part of the reason this is here is because I felt I felt Nadia glaring over my shoulder. <laughs> glaring through saying, the microphone. It better be high. It's Final <laughs> Fantasy fourteen. And this is the part where I'm just gonna sit back and let Nadia take this one. Do you have you played fourteen at all, Ash? No, I, I'm not an MMO person. I have I have heard from many people how 14 bucks the usual MMO trends of having a kind of a poor or an afterthought of a story, and I totally believe it. I know 14 has an amazing story. I know that 16 is being worked on by by uh, some of the people who've made 14, how amazing it is, but I personally just have not played it, and I don't really have the hundreds of hours to go play it. That's fair. Unfortunately. But, I think yeah. everything you can say about Final Fantasy 14's appeal, uh, number one, we all know how it's one of gaming's best comeback stories, if not the best comeback story. Uh, it's hard to describe just what a disaster Final Fantasy XIV 1.0 is. You will find documents on YouTube, uh, sorry, documentaries on YouTube, which will outline it. Uh, just to give you an idea, instead of having a day-night cycle, like a properly programmed one with actual like shadows that reflected the moon and the stars and the sun, what they would do at nighttime is just put a blue filter over the game. <laughs> and that was nighttime. And nothing cast shadows. Uh, campfire didn't cast light. And that was just the least of this game's problems. Like, it was a complete mess. And uh, the the fact that Yoshi P really just snatched it from, not only snatched it from the jaws of, like, Oblivion, but made it, frankly, it, it totally deserved its place on this list. Like, one of the greatest Final Fantasy games of all time, story-wise, not just gameplay-wise. Uh, it, it's a pretty, pretty incredible comeback story. And I feel like the appeal of why you should play or why a Final Fantasy fan might like 14 is actually in the Apocalypse video that maybe you have seen it where Bahamut just wrecks the world shit so that they have to rebuild from that. Have you ever seen that? It, 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 just to sum it up, it takes place, uh, there's a big battle, and you see, of course, all these Final Fantasy references just kind of inserted into a, a, a war zone, and it, it's so incredible. It's like you see Magitek armor... Uh, shooting at the the other side, and they're all flinging magic spells, and archers are are shooting, and warriors are swinging their axes, and and as they're doing this, basically meteor, literal meteor from as you know it from Final Fantasy VII is falling. So yeah. you know that part, but instead of yeah, no, I definitely yeah. know that part. So yeah. this is what is supposed to destroy the game and the world, and they can rebuild from that. But what happens is the meteor doesn't fall; 
it hatches and Bahamut comes out of it. And so you're not just seeing Meteor, you're seeing Bahamut, you're seeing magic armor. Uh, it's incredible. Bahamut actually just completely destroys Erosia's stuff, like just levels the whole thing to the... In fact, if you look at the kind of the apocalypse video for Smash Brothers, uh, you can see the, the reflection there where they, where they referenced it. It's really, it's actually really neat. So just the way that Final Fantasy XIV uses its references is not like in a way that you would think like, oh, hey, this is, this is a free-to-play gacha game. We want you to get this cool magic armor so you, you, you're just like, we're preying on your nostalgia here. No, it's all implemented so expertly into the game. Uh, we were talking about Final Fantasy III. Final Fantasy III is a major part of the Shadowbringer stories, which is, frankly, the best Final Fantasy story I've, I've experienced so far. Yeah, I've it's heard. incredible. So, of course, it's not directly Final Fantasy III. It's just referencing Final Fantasy III with the Crystal Tower. Uh, the overworld theme is uh, part of a is part of the themes in the expansion. It sounds fantastic, and you have the cloud of darkness and the void and blah 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 blah. And so you have these very simple Final Fantasy elements from one of the earliest games, and they turn it into one of the most emotional stories that Final Fantasy has ever told. So, to me, Final Fan it's hard to just, just describe what makes this game so great because I'll be here all day. There's actually an episode where Mike and I go back and forth about like. Oh gosh, Shadowbringers and the the Asians and and all of that and how well they were developed when they started out so kind of bland. I, a Realm Reborn, that story is a little bit basic, a little bit tiring. But once it gets to Heaven's Word, which is basically the Catholic Church versus the world and dragons, like <laughs> it just takes off from there. Stormblood is basically Final Fantasy VI. Uh, it stars the son of Cyan from Final Fantasy VI, or not him, of course, just his who he was. Like his name is there, and his son is there, right? Uh, and of course, then there's Stormblood, which is more about Final Fantasy III than anything. It's just such a rich world that treats his references with such respect, and it's also the kind of world where you could be talking to some dude, and he's telling you about this fallen dragoon, blah 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 blah, and the player next to you just summons. The regalia and pieces out like <laughs> or summons um we were just talking about uh ferris's dragon like you can use ferris summons that and uses him as a mount and and pieces out it's just such a fun game i really really hope that more people recognize what a great writer yoshi p is and his whole team once they play final fantasy 16 which yeah we've only seen a couple of trailers it looks a little bit uh i can see why some people will think it looks dull but i have all confidence that it will be fantastic. And final shout out goes to uh, Masayoshi Soken, who is the composer for much of Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Uh, Uematsu did most of 1.0. Soken did most of A Realm Reborn. Uh, I think he did all of Shadowbringers on him by himself because unfortunately uh, Uematsu oh, wow. was ill. And uh, it's just an incredible soundtrack. I have it on my iPad, of course. Oh, sorry, on my iPhone, because of course I do. Uh, yeah, and um, unless you have like half an hour uh, remaining, uh, I will be here all night talking about Final Fantasy fourteen. So <laughs> that is me. That is my, that I've is my heard summation. nothing but great things. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard nothing but great things. And I will say that I've heard quite a bit of the soundtrack just through various, you know, again, I'm, I'm so obsessed with video game music, I was going to listen to it anyway. Every single FF14 track that I've heard is just top yeah. tier. It is 
fantastic. And I truly do wish, they, I mean, even though I am not an MMO fan, I've heard from enough people um, that 14 really stands out that I wish I had the time for it. It's, it's not even as though I'm still sitting over here in my, you know, I don't like MMOs corner. No, absolutely. Crossing my arms and be like, I'm not going to play FF14 just out of spite. No, look, if I had the hundreds of hours it took me to get to the really good content, I would. I, I genuinely want to experience what so many people like you, Nadia, say is one of the best, if not the best story Final Fantasy has ever told. I just don't, literally don't have the time to get there. But that is the one aspect that is keeping me really hopeful for right. 16 is, is that that pedigree. Because I'm sure it's going to be great, but I just, you know, when I watched 16's trailer for the first time, I was just thinking they're trying to pander to the Dark Souls crowd, and that's cool, I guess. But, you know, eh. But be that as it may, I know the pedigree behind this game and, and people love 14 for a reason. So I have high hopes. Yeah. I'm really hoping that 14, sorry, I'm really hoping that 16 will be the single player 14 experience that everyone will be able to enjoy and really see the depth of what a final fantasy story is capable of because final fantasy 14 just walks this perfect edge of being really funny, really extremely dark. Like it, it doesn't hold back on, on the horrors of war. Like, there's a really dark sequence I remember where you're talking to one character who's part of the resistance and he's like, well, I'm part of the resistance because uh, the Empire invaded my hometown and basically his his mother and sister were taken in as sex slaves and they escaped. Oh, jeez. And when they were caught again, they killed themselves rather than go back. And oh, just wow, that kind okay. of thing. It's, they don't overdo it, which I think is extremely important in this age of, oh my God, let's all be Game of Thrones. But it's certainly... <laughs> Certainly, a more adult story, more, more okay. attuned to what the horrors of of battle and war are actually like. So it's just really, really, really. Uh, it'll it'll play with your emotions, and I'm hoping 16 does the same. I will always appreciate how the deep affection that Final Fantasy 14 has for its source material, and I mean the people who play Final Fantasy 14. Holy crap! Do they ever? Love that. You've game. seen the memes where like the the anime woman is chasing the little boys saying, Play Final Fantasy fourteen, the free expansion except Evansward. A game that everybody loves and seems to have pretty much a one hundred percent approval rating among Final Fantasy fans, which is kind of a rare thing, though it was controversial for a long time. Next up, the Final Fantasy that changed RPGs forever. Yes, number two on this list, and maybe higher than I would have put it in previous years. In previous years, I might have put it all the way down at like number five, number six, that kind of thing. But Final Fantasy VII, certainly the most impactful game in the series. And one of the big reasons that I've pushed it as high as I have is because Final Fantasy VII Remake was so successful, ended up elevating the source material, even if I'm still kind of at odds with that ending but i mean what else is there to say about final fantasy 7 a game that pretty much revolutionized rpgs set a whole new direction for console rpgs at the time it was absolutely mind-blowing in 1997 it has an iconic cast 
It had a bold kind of storytelling that was heavily influential for a very long time, has such a memorable soundtrack. That, and actually, if you go back and play the original Final Fantasy VII today, it holds up surprisingly well, I would say, Ash. Yeah, uh, I would say it does as well. I, I I really do wish we could still get a proper relocalization of the original FF7. Like I feel like it was such a hugely missed opportunity when bringing the game to to uh, platforms like Steam and Switch and PS4, Xbox. They I just wish they they had given the script a fresh pass because if there's any part of that game that really doesn't hold up well today, it is the very poor early PS1 era localization. Oh, yeah. But the rest of the game absolutely does hold up. And uh, it's funny, I used to be one of those people who, I was one of those people who was like, you know, FF7's kind of overrated, and it hasn't it hasn't really aged well, and I have completely come around uh, on that line of thinking, and, and in the sense that I no longer agree with it. FF7 has not held up in very specific ways, again, like that localization, but the game itself is phenomenal, um, and I, I absolutely don't think that it's overrated like I used to. And, uh, that's thanks to a couple of replays over the years, as well as just kind of my, my love for the good parts of its extended world, as it were. Not, not all of it's good, but, you know, for example, Crisis Core. Yes. I loved it. Great game. Um, despite Genesis, I really <laughs> loved it. And, uh, and, you know, Advent Children, maybe the story's a bit of a mess, but I sure do love watching those characters fight, right? And, um, Seven Remake. It's my game of the year. I absolutely adored it. It was it was uh, pretty much everything I wanted the game to be, um, despite some of the creative decisions uh, made on it. And yeah, I mean, what an iconic cast of characters, unforgettable soundtrack, in- incredible world to explore. I mean, FF7 really is the real deal, and there's a reason uh, that it was so massively impactful back in the day, and it really does hold up. Um, I, I would certainly put this in my easily in my top five, perhaps even in my top three, my, my top three to five final fantasies kind of feels like it's rotating a little bit these days. Um, but seven is certainly toward the top for me, uh, easily. And, uh, I am so excited for, uh, to, to see where seven remake part two takes the story. And, uh, I, I, you said something earlier, Kat, where I, I think you said that, uh, one necessarily can't exist without the other. And while that's obviously true in Remake's case, um, it wouldn't exist if not for the original FF7. I don't know that you need to play the original FF7 to appreciate and enjoy Remake. No, I don't think you do. Uh, maybe appreciate it to its fullest, sure, sure, but not to enjoy it. No. Yeah, but at the same time, FF7 Remake, while it is perfectly enjoyable on its own and stands on its own, like there's a lot of enjoyment to be derived from the way that it adapts to source material. And yeah, sure. Honestly, if I were to put Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two on here, it would basically be right there with Final Fantasy VII, and I sort mm-hmm. of feel like they're interchangeable. It's hard for me to put one above the other in its own way. The I think the only reason I would put Remake below Final Fantasy VII is because it's not a complete story. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Ends on a cliffhanger, so it's a little bit harder to to actually rank it as its own thing, but. Yeah, no, Final Fantasy VII Remake stands up just fine. It's just, as somebody who enjoyed Final Fantasy VII back in the day, there's just so much to love about the way that Final Fantasy VII Remake takes the source material and runs it in in new and wonderful directions. I agree. Um, To this day, Final Fantasy VII is still one of those games that I pick up and play once in a while, much like Final Fantasy IV. I find it very replayable for some reason. And I think 
probably the reason, this is something I've gone over many, many times. Oh, Ash, you were actually with my panel. Remember when we talked about the environment of Final Fantasy VII at right. PAX? And I think that was a good, good discussion because uh, I remember going over how Final Fantasy VII tells its story so effectively through its backgrounds. And that's really good because, as Ash said, the translation is not very, not number one A+. So I really was blown away, even as a kid, by the fact that you would enter a room in a slum and it'd be completely different from a room later on in a town like Calm, whereas Final Fantasy VI has extremely cut-and-paste rooms. And it has to, of course, because it's a cartridge game. So uh, I didn't appreciate... There was that that time, of course, that everyone goes through, like Ash mentioned, where you don't think you like Final Fantasy VII very much and you think it's overrated and you think it ruined Final Fantasy because, oh no, what happened to the fantasy? But I have definitely come around to the fact that Final Fantasy VII is one of the most brilliant Final Fantasy games. It is absolutely a must-play. Uh, it still holds up for the most part. Soundtrack is fantastic. Characters are iconic. Um, yeah, it's ranks as one of my favorites and... I still recall certain, just in my mind, immediately recall certain moments like uh, finding finding Cloud in Medeal when he's been like Mako poisoned and he's he can't move and he can't talk and it's just a Tifa has to take care of him and it's a very very heartfelt, very sad moment and things like battling the diamond weapon and how you're these teeny tiny dots on the map and this huge huge like mech is towering over you and. How stuff like that wasn't possible on cartridges and just seeing it come to life in in, in the CD format and realizing, wow, this is what this is what RPGs can be now. The, the restrictions are all gone. And frankly, so is the price, because uh, if you remember cartridge games, cartridge RPGs were extremely expensive. I paid like over $100 for Final oh, Fantasy yeah. VI, easy. And Final Fantasy VII was a CD game, so it was the same price as every other CD game. It was, I think that's what really helped open up the, the genre to people. Yeah, I agree. And and looking back, I'm I'm so happy that Seven ushered sci-fi uh, into Final Fantasy the way it did because you know six six brought us yes. steampunk, which I, th- I thought I thought was really cool, and started branching out the idea of what Final Fantasy could be in terms of its setting. But Seven went full sci-fi, and without Seven's influence, I don't think we would have seen uh, you know, or I, I'm just not sure we would have seen such unique. Such a uh, such a uniquely diverse range of settings, like we've seen in FF8 and FF10, 13, 12, um, and, and I think that's a good thing. I'm sure there there are you know really hardcore old school Final Fantasy fans out there who would think it would it would be better off if if sci-fi had never been introduced into the series. I happen to disagree, and I think Seven really paved the way for Final Fantasy to experiment with a, a lot wider range of settings than it might otherwise uh, have without it. So. Yeah, no, I, I I really do have so much love and uh, respect for what Seven represents, and I think also another thing that's kind of attractive about it is that even though its characters are on the younger side, typically there are some adults in the party. You got Barrett, and you got you know Barrett's even yep. a dad. He's a, he's a father, and you got Sid as well, who's who's older. And even though they're the only truly older, older characters in the party, <laughs> that old man, thirty five yeah, yeah, year old, and Sid. I say older, I know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but even characters like Cloud and Tifa and, you know, they're they're in that tropey, you know, low, t- low early 20s, you know, age range of JRPG characters, but they have adult yeah. problems and they're they're messed up, especially oh, Cloud, totally you know. I mean, Cloud <laughs> is obviously really messed up. 
but they're they're you know they they they're messed up. They're depressed. They've they've got their own anxieties. They're you know they're adults living in an adult world, and uh, I think that's attractive about Seven. Their their characters are a little bit more mature and just honestly struggling adults dealing with crappy problems. And uh, I think you you see that really reflected well in the relationship between Cloud mm-hmm. and Tifa, because where I think where a lot of other lesser JRPGs would just be like, hey, they're going to, you know, they're the the love interests and they're going to fall in love at the end. And hey, Tifa, Cloud, OTP all the way. I love them. But it takes them a long time to get there. And they're and they and they, you know, they they struggle with that and they struggle with their feelings and they have their own shit that they're dealing with. And I just I think that lesser RPGs would have taken the easy way and just made them fall in love and let that be it. But it's, you know, and you see that uh, reflected in the airship scene between Cloud and Tifa toward the end of the game uh, where they spend the night together. And, you know, it can work out a couple of different ways depending on the uh, the hidden love points. Yeah, I couldn't I could that, never uh, get them to bang. I always got stuck with Aerith. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, I just yeah, wanted I Yuffie just, to go I, on the date with me. Damn it. Aw. Uh, yeah, yeah, hey, you know what? Yuffie before Aerith. I'm so not an oh, Aerith fan. But Aerith is uh, great in remake. She is. I like her a lot. Oh, you're right. No, you, I'll give you that. Uh, remake did what I thought was impossible for me. It actually made me like Aerith. Mm. So I'll give remake huge props for that. But I still think Tifa is like a billion gazillion times cooler and better. Yeah. I think it's interesting to ponder why Final Fantasy VII resonated with a broader audience so much more than any RPG to come before it. I think a lot of it was to do with the fact that just the fact that it had the cinematics and the 3D graphics made it instantly more accessible to people versus the kind of the squat sprites that you saw in Final Fantasy IV, V, VI, well, literally any other Final Fantasy that came before it. And the fact that it was telling a a very messy but also really ambitious story that was sprawling i mean it was an anime series oh, yeah. with its own self-contained arcs and everything and the world felt mm-hmm. so enormous i was referring earlier to how the original final fantasy 3 pulled a midgar final fantasy 7 i mean popularized that whole thing that feeling of you're in this entire the equivalent of uh, Final Fantasy equivalent of White Orchard yeah. <laughs> with Midgar, a setting so interesting mm-hmm. that they made an entire game out of it. And then you step out into the world for the first time. And you're like, oh, my God, it's just a completely mind blowing experience to have that yeah. happen. And then there's just so many iconic moments, everything to do with Rufus and, of course, what happens to Aerith, um, even things like battling the weapons. I yeah. know so many friends who had never really been into an RPG before at that time, who became obsessed with getting, uh, you know, breeding chocobos <laughs> and getting the Knights of the Round material. And then subsequently fighting Emerald yeah. Weapon and Ruby Weapon and taking them down was so satisfying. I mean, when you look back on Final Fantasy VII, it just has so much to offer. And I think, Nadia, you were right. I said that Final Fantasy IV is one of those games on this list that I could pick up anytime, any place. Final Fantasy VII is there too.
and 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 for you know a perfectly uh, you know for a, a perfectly distilled example of of how Seven's legacy has endured so heavily. Look at the reaction to Sephiroth oh, in Smash. Oh man, there I, I I don't think there are, I don't know if I can think of another villain in gaming that isn't already in Smash that could engender that much hype. I really I mean I really don't even even uh, a character like Kefka who I think is a better villain isn't iconic mm-hmm. in the way that Sephiroth is. Sephiroth is absolutely an icon, just like Cloud is. And, I mean, look at the way people reacted when Cloud got into Smash. And with Sephiroth, yeah, I mean, Sakurai said it in his own presentation. Uh, I, you know, he's not sure there's there's another iconic or a villain as iconic other than Bowser. And that I think that could be true. Mm. I agree. He's certainly a top five most iconic villain. And Oh, easily, yeah. The most, or Final Fantasy VII is the most iconic Final Fantasy, bar none. That's the one that everybody knows. But yeah. it's not the best. The best <laughs> Final Fantasy, as always. Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we were getting our people. Surprise! I I don't know. Like I'm just going to always put Final Fantasy VI up on this list. Ash, do you think Final Fantasy VI is the best one, or would you disagree? I think there's a very strong case for it for uh, to to be made for it being the best one, and it's certainly in my top three. Uh, I could, depending on the day, I could call that my favorite. I could call ten my favorite, or I could call nine my favorite. Um, I six is again was my first JRPG. Um, I was it 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 introduced me to the range of possibilities of of what a JRPG could be, and expanded my ideas of what a video game could be. I played it at the tender age of I don't know ten or eleven or something, and you know. Prior to that, I, I I definitely appreciated you know the music I had been hearing, and I loved playing video games, obviously. But I had never been emotionally invested mm-hmm. in in a video game the way I was before I played FF Six. And again, it, it it expanded my idea of what a game could be. And the friend, uh, kind of a fun bit of trivia: the first CD album I ever bought with my own allowance money was Kefka's Domain, the super limited <laughs> nice. edition U.S. release. Of the FF6 soundtrack because I just it, it it just completely blew me away how the how the the game pulled me into its world with its characters and its music and I had just never experienced something like that before and uh, FF6 still I think is does does it among the best of of any game in the series and um, it, it's funny I didn't know it at the time uh, because that was before I had gotten into anime and knew about all the different tropes and such but. Looking back, FF6 has one of the more progressive casts of characters, uh, even by today's standards, in the sense that it's there are very few kids yeah. in, or or even teens in that cast. It's pretty much all really messed up adults, it's totally, and and really messed yeah, up adults. It, it's totally cast, and up uh, that's that's really refreshing. And I didn't know how refreshing that would be in hindsight, um, but it still is to this day. And uh, I love its ensemble cast. I love that uh, there are so many different characters for different flavors of player to get invested in um you know and and the way that it incorporated other genres almost into the battle system such as with sabin 
and his fighting game yeah, house combinations, his input commands. Like, so cool, right? And there are just so many different ways to play that game. And I'm not even a fan of, of more open-ended experiences, usually. I like linear guided experiences, and FF6 is only that for the first half of it. But still, the way it incorporates the world of Ruin and the the context against which the world of Ruin is set was something that was mind-blowing at the time, and I still don't think has necessarily been done has been bettered that that many times uh, since, if if at all, really. One thing I was thinking about recently, and this is something I have brought up in my many, many writings about Final Fantasy VI, uh, when the game starts, it starts with the Frozen Esper, and people freak out about this Frozen Esper. That's how Terra discovers her heritage. That's how the Empire becomes interested in, in conquering Narsh. That's just, like, the catalyst to everything that happens in that game. And then at the World of Ruin, everything shifts so dramatically that you go back and that Esper is still there, just sitting alone and forgotten and just completely, like, not any part of the story anymore because what has happened has gone so far beyond what you started with that it's just, it still hits me that the thing that started it all is just forgotten and alone. And you can fight it, absolutely. It's worth it. It's a good Esper to have. And that's how you get Amaro as well. But just the that you have to think about the old world and say to yourself, what should I do? What should I go back to and see what has changed? Because of course you're kind of set loose in the world of ruin uh, and you're set, you're tasked with exploring it by yourself. So going back to Narsh is one of the, the most like chilling, chilling parts of the game. I think in the world of ruin, you go back and it has, it's playing dark world, which is like a really, really, very emotional, very dark song that plays in the world of Ruin in certain parts of it. And you find things like the dying weapon keeper who gives you Ragnarok. You find uh, the the Mughals. You find the fact that Mog is kind of sitting there alone in his cave. All his friends have died. Uh, Final yeah. Fantasy VI, just, I love the way it has a thematic shift where here is a problem. Oh no, here's a much bigger problem. It's very reflective of life, I think. I think that's a really good way to put it, and and I I love that it didn't uh, shy away from from very really serious themes in, in its storytelling, especially in its in its characters. I mean, for example, when you you know most RPGs when uh, you find Terra, for example, in the World of Ruin, you're thinking, oh man, I got one yes. of my best characters back. All right, <laughs> she's going to join me, and I'm going to be you know I'm going to be a powerhouse again, and I'm just going to wreck everything with all with everything she can do. No, she's depressed. She doesn't want to join you. She's kind of over yeah. everything. And when you do play as her in uh, in one of the boss fights against Foonbaba, she sucks because she's depressed, and that that's reflective of real life. She can't get it together. That's that's real. That that is something that so many of us can relate to. And then you look at Celis. She tries to commit yeah. suicide straight, straight up. up. <laughs> How many games are brave enough to deal with that? So honest, honestly, and I love FF6. Yeah, for that. me too. You absolutely. know, honestly, there are times when I'm just too depressed to fight Boombaba as well. You know, so I can totally relate <laughs> yeah, to totally. what's what Terra's going yeah. through. I do like the fact that yeah. no, when 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 giant demon monsters storm, you know, the my, my, the orphanage I help take care of too. I, totally, so I just don't yeah, got totally it, it today. Don't have the energy. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, orphans, you're gonna yeah. you're on your own. <laughs> Uh, I do like the fact that there's two things I really like about relationships in Final Fantasy VI. Number one, Terra discovers what love is, and it's not like sexual love. It's just love for her family. And because they were like building up to her saying, what right. is love? I don't know what love is. And then she finds it. and it, Baby, don't, don't hurt, hurt me, me no sorry. more. 
And she finds out what it is, <laughs> and it's just like a platonic, deep love that inspires her to fight on. Second, I really like the relationship between Locke and Celeste. I really like the way that's forged because it's very subtle. And uh, they, there's a real, there's a moment where Locke thinks that Celeste has betrayed him, and he doesn't trust her, and she doesn't trust him, and it, it takes a while for them to finally reconcile. And even when they do reconcile, they're not like all over each other. They just have these certain moments where you realize they they deeply care for each other. But Celeste won't let herself, won't let him love her until he gets over Rachel. And that's a whole quest on its own because Locke is carrying this deep guilt over his girlfriend who he believes he killed. So she's not really letting him move in until she's like, okay, I don't want you calling me Rachel in bed. So take care of this right now. (laughs) <laughs> and he, he does yeah. if you play it that way. The Phoenix Cave is a real pain in the ass. yeah i mean it, it's it deals with adults who have adult problems and uh, i think you know a lesser game would have just welcomed tara back into your party with the same stats she had before and she doesn't she doesn't question whether she wants to come back she comes back because she has to in service of the, of the gameplay in service of the plot but no ff6 you know she they treat her as a real person they make you work you really, for it. Yeah. if you want tara back in your party you have to earn it and you have to give tara a reason to come back She's not just a gameplay function. You know, same thing, and that, that could be said for most of the characters in the game. I mean, when you recruit characters like uh, like Cian. Yeah, same. Again, when, when you, and you, and you, the, the whole plot about him writing uh, writing the letters, it's just, it's so good. And it's just a bunch of sad, messed up adults trying to get through life that just happens to be in a world that's ruled over by a, you know, megalomaniac god angel thing, mad clown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and there's and there's just enough anime stuff in there too for for that crowd too like you know the whole uh, Kefka's whole speech at the end you know life hope, oh, what are they, dreams, where are they where going are they, where do they come from yeah. where are they going all the, it, it's it's nonsense it's anime schlock but it but it has a place in that game too it's just not done at the expense of everything yeah else. Um, I think you ha- you you were onto something when you said the Final Fantasy VI makes you work for certain things and you certainly have to work for getting back certain characters like. Shadow, who is extremely easy to miss the first time around. Right. And when you do get him back, you can find out a bit of his past and realize he is Realm's father. And the game will not tell you that outright. And I think one of the funniest things it does is if you watch Interceptor in certain memory sequences, you can find out that uh, there, there's, there's Shadow's dreams, which a lot of people have found. And then there is, there's Realm has a dream. And the only way you can see this dream is if you find her in the Velt Cave. And you only find her if you let Shadow die. So you effectively have to play through right. the game twice to kind of make that link. But in the in the flashback that Realm has, you see Interceptor run out the door and go after Shadow in the flashback he has. So you have that link between a dog. I said basically Final Fantasy VI lets a dog tell a story and it works. So they, they will not tell yeah. you, okay, Shadow is Realm's father. He They don't really say exactly what happened. Best guess is that he was an outlaw. 
stumbled into Thasma, Thamazda, or however you pronounce that town's name. Uh, he had realm, then he had to leave because maybe the the law was onto him again. They don't really they don't really say. An interceptor follows him, but I just like the fact that they have that whole link there, and you have to figure it out. It's later games would be kind of in your face about story points, but six wasn't really like that. And they also they also give you the resolution that you that most other games would probably give you. They'd kind of dangle it in front of you and then take it away. And and that uh, kind of goes back to what you were saying about. Tara and what she ultimately, you know, her interpretation of what love is and what makes her keep going. There was the beginnings of a romantic, you know, relationship there between Tara and yes. General Leo, I think. That's I think how so, I yes. interpreted it. And yeah, and 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 the game could easily have gone in that direction and and you know, Tara finds, you know, that this romantic love and and that's how she learns what love is. But as we said, they didn't go that way. They 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 kill him just as they're falling in love and just as Tara thinks she's maybe finding out what love really is. They kill General him. Leo. And she has to now go and find love, you know, and and find what love means to her in a different sense. And it's not as though Leo is just replaced by Edna. No. Or, you know, or some, or Sabin, or, you know, they don't ham-fist some other relationship for Tara to have just so she can have a relationship, you know? She, you know, yeah, maybe off-screen later later down the road. Yeah, she, certainly. You know, gets together yeah. with somebody, sure. But that doesn't matter. That's not the point. She, the, the love that she finds that, that keeps her going is for the kids that she takes care of and the, the familial love, as you were saying. And so I think it's great that, yeah, maybe she did have some romantic feelings for Leo, but when he dies... They don't just push someone mm-hmm. else to the forefront for her to get yeah. together with. And I think that is great. great. I will say, though, that Leo is the biggest tease in that game because he, he <laughs> yeah. think he's going to join you. He is. They make it they make it seem like he's going to join you because Kefka's gone completely mad. And not only does it look like he's going to join you, he is such a badass for the, the two seconds to control him. He has this amazing AoE attack that just destroys everything in his path. And then he dies. You don't get him. <laughs> and you're off to yeah. one of the hardest parts in the game, which is the floating continent. Have fun. Yeah, exactly, and and that 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 kind of just reminds me of just Kefka in general, one of the greatest villains. Oh yeah. Uh, I I do wish that the game told us a little more about whether he was just kind of a bad egg to begin with, or whether it was the Magitech experiments that made him who we see in the game. He's so like I wish the there's Joker. A bit more of a backstory. His backstory for him, but, changes yeah. as as circumstances demand. Well, I know how I got these scars. And that's also that that in itself is is incredibly compelling. And either way, I think the point is that. You know, Sephiroth may endure as the iconic Final Fantasy villain, and he's a great villain, no doubt. But I think Kefka just is better yeah. in every way. I mean, he's what a truly, truly, truly evil clown <laughs> for, for the sake of for the sake of just being truly evil. He just wants to cause as much suffering as he can, and I mean that's effective. And and you watch him do it, and you want it. Like by the end of the game. Like, I don't know about you guys, but, like, by the end of FF6, I was done with oh, yeah. Kefka in a way that I wasn't done with Ultimecia or Sephiroth 
or Jekt or whomever, especially not, you know, someone like Orphan or Bartandalus. Like, Kefka, I was so tired of his <laughs> shit, of, of, of all this, of everything he had done to all these people I cared about throughout the game and all these innocent people I didn't necessarily care about. But I was just so ready to take him out. By Kefka, the end. That's yeah, a great villain. Kefka, first of all, shout out to Ted Woolsey, uh, the localizer for this game. Uh, I have a huge right. feature with him on US Gamer. Please go back and read it because it really gives you insight into why he, how he translated the game and the tone he gave to the characters. Kefka is extremely, extremely threatening because not only has he destroyed the world, he wants to destroy the ashes of the world. And the world of ruin is one of the most, is one of the bleakest Final Fantasy settings there is. There's no argument there. Everything is dead. Everything is dying. Even the enemy types change to the point where most of them are kind of zombie-ish. And when Celeste walks around the the aisle of the solitary island where she wakes up, the enemies are basically poisoned. They die very quickly. So that not only is that a, a really interesting way to kind of let us deal with enemies that uh, Celeste might not be strong enough for, but also just kind of indicate, hey, this world's messed up. All these these creatures are dying. They're poisoned. Uh, the water is 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 purple for God's sake. Like <laughs> there is no hope left in this world. The whole game is about finding hope, the remains of hope in this this shattered world. And Kefka says, "Haha, you're all stupid for doing that." He just wants to destroy everything. He says it himself. I want to create a monument to non-existence. And so that to me makes him the biggest one of the biggest threats in the Final Fantasy universe. Just Someone who wants to take it all back to oblivion, and not just in a sudden, like, Thanos snap way, but in a really slow, painful way that makes everybody suffer. Yeah, and, and he's very, you know, in, uh, importantly, he's one of the very few villains who actually succeeds. Yes, absolutely. At least for a time. He actually succeeds at what he sets out to do, and that makes him even more yeah, threatening. Yeah, left to his devices, he would absolutely just light of judgment everything and everyone, and what he would have at the end, I don't know. I don't know if he'd be happy at the end of it all or if he'd just eat himself, but uh, he was certainly bent on <laughs> destroying everything. Well, the last 20 minutes have shown exactly why Final Fantasy VI is the best game in the series and certainly one of the greatest RPGs ever. I think we named it number two on our list, maybe right behind Chrono Trigger, maybe two or three. I was going to say, as long as number one's Chrono Trigger, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's my number one. And honestly, yeah. there's there's arguments to make that Final Fantasy VI is the best one. The point is, if you play any Final Fantasy, any Final Fantasy at all, make sure you play this one. I mean, even Final Fantasy right. VII is an amazing game. You can knock it out, whatever. I'm happy to recommend it. Final Fantasy VI. Just get this one out of your backlog. It's, it's an all-timer. Oh, and hey, if you want to listen to even more gushing about Final Fantasy VI, we did an entire episode about it in our Top 25 RPG Countdown. It's in the backlog. I think it's somewhere in 2018, thereabouts. But yeah, so it's good. Final Fantasy VI, an all-timer. But that is it. That is our ranking, our definitive ranking that will absolutely never change. <laughs> it's of all of the Final Fantasy games. I actually already know which one one ranking that I would want. I would want to put Final Fantasy twelve back to number ten rather than where it is. It's maybe a little bit high for me, but so it goes. I appreciate that. I respect yeah. that. Why don't you why don't you push it just a little further behind no. thirteen no. games? No. And then we're, we're good. good. We're fine. We're good. I'm not I'm not putting <laughs> I'm not pushing it back that far, but yeah. Fair enough, fair this enough. This is a really fun exercise, and I was actually a little like, I don't know, do I want to talk about Final Fantasy this much? But it turns out that there's so much to explore there is across the entirety of the series, even in games like Lightning Returns and Final Fantasy IV, The After Years. Um, I think there's a reason that Final Fantasy continues 
to capture people's imaginations. It's just such a unique world. It's capable of producing so many interesting stories. And when a really good Final Fantasy comes out, it just makes everybody happy. When Final Fantasy VII Remake came out and it suddenly felt like Square was back on its game, everybody was like, oh, yeah, this is good. I'm, I'm in a good mood. Everybody was yeah. just so damn happy to have Final Fantasy VII Remake be successful. Yeah, we're all sharing the so, memes on the social medias, and that's always a good sign. I think that goes to show the the place that Final Fantasy continues to occupy in people's hearts. Um, Ash, do you have any final thoughts on this list? Um, only that uh, I can't believe we got through a 20-minute discussion of, of about FF6 without even mentioning the soundtrack. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Oh, that wow. is, that's its whole, whole it own really discussion. Is. How do we not even mention that tremendous, tremendous soundtrack? My God. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think you guys have obviously, I mean, there are going to be as many different Final Fantasy ranking lists as there are players of Final Fantasy games out there. So, you know, even, the, even though I may not, uh, agree with every placement, <coughs> 13, <laughs> um, I, I still think you've put together a great list here and, uh, I'm just so happy you invited me on to talk about Final Fantasy with you too, because I, uh, I mean, obviously I love just talking to you both about games, period, but Final Fantasy has, uh, occupied such a huge part of my life that, it's uh, a very important part of my life that I just love breaking these games down and really digging into what makes each one so great and sometimes not so great. And uh, I just I love discussing games with you, period. So anytime you want me on, I'm here. And thank you so much for having me. I think uh, other other than my, you know, my sustained defense of FF13, I think I've pretty, <laughs> pretty much exhausted what I what I've got to say. Well, I will say that, yes, I want to give a final shout-out to Final Fantasy VI's soundtrack, if just because that last bit of the game, how much of it, the cartridge is just dedicated to this massive 20-minute long, non-looping ending song, not to mention Dancing Mad, right. which is its own like song that barely loops, and when it does loop, it's so perfectly stoned into each other's segments. It's absolutely perfect. So, yes, uh, shout-out to Yamatsu. I still think Six is his best work. Oh, and the opera. Ooh. Oh, man, the opera. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really close between six and eight for me. But I guess if, if we're doing uh, uh, soundtrack wise, but if we're doing shout outs, I do want to give a quick shout out to thirteen uh, two soundtrack, specifically its soundtrack. It's weird. It's experimental. And sometimes it doesn't always work. But when it does, it works <laughs> hard. Like it really it really slaps. And uh, so I, I almost look at ten two soundtrack as the prototype for what thirteen two soundtrack would end up being. So if you're ever in the mood for something a little off kilter and and uh, off the beaten path from what Final Fantasy music would normally be, check out 132 because it it's an awesome soundtrack. And what do you think, dear listener? Where do you think Final Fantasies should be ranked? What's your favorite? What was the underappreciated game in this list? Are you one who's going to come in and go to bat for Lightning Returns? In which case, I love you. <laughs> Send me an email, cat <laughs> at bloodgodpod.com. And in the meantime. Thanks for listening to this very long episode. If you are supporting us on our Patreon, thank you very much. And if you are not supporting us on our Patreon, well, I humbly ask that you do so that we can pay our bills. <laughs> In the meantime, though, I am very loopy after speaking, spending like four hours talking about Final Fantasy, but it was a good four hours. I think so. I really enjoyed I think it. It was a productive four hours. And if you're not loopy from four hours of listening to us to talk about Final Fantasy, I got good news. There's even more RP. Uh, there's even more RPG goodness out there for you right the heck now on the Axe of the Blood God feed. You can go listen to our first three parts of our Witcher episode by episode exploration. It's all there on the feed, and also Pantheon of the Blood God exploration 
of Skies of Arcadia. That is there as well. Six episodes Jeez. right out of the shoot. I'm, I'm impressed Holy you crap. can keep it all straight in your head. I can't keep it straight right. out of that's like ten hours of like just podcasting. So if you got some time off and you're you're bored, well here you go. You you're not gonna be wanting for a while, that's for sure. In the meantime, thank you so much to Kim and thank you so much to Ash for coming on the show and doing this project for us. We had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And after this, we're going to be getting back to our normal schedule. We got it's time it'll be time to get into the twenty twenty one RPG. Uh, preview as we look ahead to all of the big RPGs that are coming out in the new year. Lots to talk about in the meantime. For Nadia, Ash, and myself, thanks for my listening. I can barely speak. <laughs> we'll be back next week, as always. Until then, happy adventuring.